Business and Buckets fam, we are live again, episode 50, halfway to 100, can't believe that we're already at that point, it seems like just yesterday I had started this bad boy up, but we're coming at you with more content, another stack show, plenty of football to talk about, but you already know the drill, before we talk sports, let's talk fueled supplements, you know, health is wealth, keep your immune system strong, Reduce cortisol and detoxify your body on a cellular level. You can relieve chronic joint pain and increase your overall energy and vitality with Fueled Supplements Wellness products. Fueled Multivitamins and Fueled Greens is the immunity combo you need uh, to be and stay at your best. You can always make more money, but you can't always get back your health. Start today and save a little cash when you invest in yourself and your future by using my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off everything at FueledSupplements.com the best place on the web for sports and wellness products. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S, for 15% off at FueledSupplements.com. Shout out Fueled Supplements. I'm looking at booking a trip to Vegas uh, in December. Uh, my best friend from Montana wants me to go to the National Rodeo Finals. Within that, Fueled Supplements, Josh and crew are going to be out there, get them on the pod, get some business additions going. So you can see the men behind the scenes of the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets. Well, let's jump right in because we got a ton to cover in the NFL front. Uh, last week, we talked a little bit about, you know, it's an odd number of weeks this year with an additional week in a week 17. Uh, doing kind of a quarter review, getting some pulses on teams, giving you guys my thought process there. But let's talk some headlines as injuries is... Really the name of the game, again, thus far in the NFL season. One of the more interesting ones, the Pats come out and say, I think it was the next day, like Wednesday or Thursday morning last week, that they're going to cut Stephon Gilmore, ex-Pro Bowl cornerback. Everyone knows Stephon Gilmore has done really well in his NFL career. And then they turn around and trade him for a six-round pick, expected to be ready for week seven for the Carolina Panthers, which would be next week. They had also traded for another corner, uh, because of injury with J.C. Horn, the the stud rookie on the team, and they're trying to stay relevant, keep that defense short up. So st- insert Stephon Gilbert or Gilmore. I'm assuming that has to be with, oh shit, the Patriots are going to cut him. Let's see what you know the bottom offer we can get to trade him, so that he's not on the free agency market. We could get him uh, on the squad. Awesome offensive lineman in the injury report: Trent Brown going to the IR and Frank Ragnar uh, Ragnow. For the Detroit Lions going to the IR as well, but he is announced to be out for the season. Uh, Quintez Cephas, the receiver that's kind of broken out as Jared Goff's favorite uh, target on the Lions, also on the IR with a broken collarbone. My fantasy guy, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, heading to the IR for the Chiefs. Uh, Potential rumors of them trading from Marlon Mack to shore up that uh, depth chart. They do have Jarek McKinnon and... um, Darrell Williams, the typical backup, but neither of those guys jump off the paper. I'm sure the Chiefs are thinking the same thing, and especially in the hole that they have themselves, they need to find somewhat of a running game. Insert Marlon Mack, who looked great this past week for the Colts. Uh, The Seahawks cut Trey Flowers. Supposedly, there was reports that he wanted out, so they just went ahead and cut him. Um, You know, the defense has not been the Legion of Boom any time of recent. Uh, You take away Trey Flowers, it's just another piece that they'll be missing. The Saints released Brian Poole and Desmond Trufant, two guys uh, had played for a long time, divisional team uh, with the with the Falcons. Obviously, at the latter half of their careers, the Saints don't seem 
Like they're that interested. Their defense has played well, so they released those guys. But potential names to be looking at for additions on other teams. For the Arizona Cardinals, big week, uh, big game this week against the Browns that we'll talk about later. But Chandler Jones going on the COVID protocol, not expected to play this week for a team that's undefeated, very highly thought of thus far in the NFL. Potential, you know, number one in power rankings, team that people think might be able to win that division. They're going to be without him. And then Will Fuller on IR just made his appearance back with Miami. All the issues Miami are having with Tua, the quarterback situation. Now you put in the receivers. Will Fuller be out for some time. The Washington football team will be out without Logan Thomas, the stud tight end that, especially in the fantasy world, you had expected to have a breakout season this year. Really hasn't quite blossomed into that. Uh, the Packers add Jalen Smith after he was cut from the Cowboys. The big contract that he earned, the lack of performance in his play, the Cowboys just clean their slate. The Packers adding them as they have a bunch of defensive injuries themselves. Uh, George Kittle to the IR for the 49ers. The 49ers, you know, really live in their offense through their offensive line. They've gone through all those running back entries. George Kittle, a very good blocking tight end. That's definitely going to add to it. And especially with um, Jimmy Garoppolo recovering from injury and Justin Fields getting hurt this past week. But they do enter a bye week, but he'll be on the IR, which again this year is a three-week minimum within the new rules. For the Chargers, Ryan Balaga undergoing core muscle surgery. So I don't expect him back for the Chargers. Best case scenario, late season, potentially playoffs. But he's a, a big name that they signed to that offensive front to keep Justin Herbert up and standing. Obviously, the Chargers have been playing pretty well without him, but that's a huge piece that they'll be missing most of the year, if not the whole season. Jimmy G should be good for the 49ers out of bye week if um, uh, Trey Lance isn't able to play. They expect him to be able to come back and, and start for the team. It'll be interesting to see what the situation is if both quarterbacks are healthy, who they start. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo was the unheralded starter. He ended up getting hurt. They put Trey Lance in. The 49ers admittedly said that they weren't prepared to have Trey Lance being the starting quarterback. So potentially, Jimmy G just takes the job again. The Rams put Darius Williams on IR as they lose another body. The Bears add Jermaine Effetti to the IR, which isn't great for Justin Fields as he's trying to, you know, get his legs under him in the Chicago offense. Maybe not necessarily his legs, but maybe the offensive coordinator, the play calling and situations that just adds more wrinkles to their plan. The amazing offensive lineman for the Texans, Laramie Tunsil, is going to have thumb surgery and expected to miss at least four weeks. Until Tyrod Taylor's back, uh, that's not good news for Mr. Davis Mills, who had his best week as a starting quarterback for the Texans this week. The Bengals put Trey Waynes on IR. Uh, an amazing guy that they got off free agency that's played well for him uh, is going to hurt that secondary and defense. The Jaguars place their center Brandon Leiter on IR for an already a team that's winless, a team that's having issues up front, and obviously having their franchise quarterback as a rookie now has less protection. Uh, there isn't expected to be a ton of differences here, but your starting center is never a good piece to lose. Sadly, Juju Smith out for the year with the shoulder injury for the Steelers. As a Steelers fan, this is a little close to my heart and something I do want to elaborate on. Juju had offers to get paid better elsewhere, wanted to run it back for the year with Pittsburgh, you know, Attempt to bring Ben Roethlisberger back to the glory land and, and give the Steelers everything he had. As the salary cap issues with COVID was happening, um, you know, he wasn't going to get a fat contract that he felt like he deserved. 
His playing time hasn't been, you know, what it was the, his rookie breakout season. He's not running the same routes. We're making him do the dirty work. He, you know, is willing to do it. He is a little Heinz Ward-esque with his physicality, his dependability, his great hands. There's just a lot that he brings to the table. And it's a bummer that he doesn't get to finish the season as that might have been his last game in a Pittsburgh Steeler uniform. And if that's the case, Juju Smith, we love you. We'll always respect you. Please just don't go to the Baltimore Ravens. We know they had interest in you in the offseason, potentially with the draft of Rashad Bateman, who should come back soon to the Ravens. They won't be interested in him, but, you know, what a player for the Steelers. Um, they don't usually give a lot of receivers, you know, multiple contracts. But if there was a guy that deserved it, Juju definitely is deserving. With that, the Steelers signed Anthony Miller, the ex-second round draft pick to the practice squad. A guy that's been, you know, on sleeper fantasy reports for years. It's been around the league. Uh, they get him on the practice squad for depth in case there's other injuries. But a guy that might be able to fit in the system and earn his way uh, up the depth chart for, for a team that is pretty stacked at the receiving core. But Anthony Miller definitely has shown potential and hasn't been in the best quarterback situation. So maybe he finds his chance to shine here. In kind of uh, more uh, lurky news, so to speak, uh, John Gruden out as the Raiders coach. Assistant Reach Basasha is expected to be the interim coach. I have mixed emotions about this. Um, obviously, there was the investigation. The emails had come across uh, with John Gruden's language. I've heard lots of different takes on this. I try not to get into the politics of sports, but this is big news as the NFL and the world we live in is ever-changing. Um, I had talked about the Dave Chappelle, the closer episode, uh, his last stand-up special on Netflix that he's gotten a lot of harsh feedback from, you know, my opinion doesn't matter here. I'm not big of a name that anyone really cares for my opinion, but in the world we live in, it's obviously more of a censored world. I, I did have mixed emotions for this. You know, it's a shame that we're going out and finding things that happened a decade ago. Like myself, what I had done when MySpace was a social media platform, early Facebook days, I have no idea. You know, I've obviously evolved and changed in that time, and I feel like other people do as well. You know, what he's done is definitely unacceptable. The league is a changing place, and I think um, what what really interests me out of this more than anything is the Washington football team situation with Dan Snyder, where the NFLPA said they were going to uh, do a petition to have the NFL release all those emails, but supposedly the league is saying that they're not going to. So where there's smoke, there's fire. There's a lot of interesting things in here. I'm sure Gruden's not going to be the first one, but I felt like he took the hit in involvement of a bigger issue, and that's the NFL owners, which is definitely an issue here. Um, you know, you, Keyshawn Johnson definitely had a lot of backlash for John Gruden there, but uh, it's just a crazy world we live in. Definitely mixed emotions within this, uh, but the league is changing, and I'm sure this will not be the last domino to fall. Um, the NFL obviously announced... We had talked about it on this show that there'll be Monday night wildcard games in the future of playoffs. And ESPN has landed a five-year deal with them. They do Monday night football. I'm not sure if this was a bidding war or if they had, you know, approached ESPN as the first opportunity to cover these games. But Monday night games will be staying with ESPN and the playoff ones upcoming uh, in the future. And obviously, I talked about Trey Lance having the knee sprain. He isn't expected to miss much time, but I'm interested to see what happens with that quarterback situation? My preseason prediction, if you are a weekly business and bucket listener or viewer on YouTube, I had given Kyle Shanahan coach of the year. I'd pick the Niners, you know, ideally in a healthy season or healthier season 
to the Super Bowl and winning the NFC West. I can't remember if I had him winning the NFC West or not. Regardless, um, I thought it was going to be a hybrid quarterback situation, have game uh, scripts where Jimmy G's the starter. You know, he has his types of uh, play calls, and then Kyle Shanahan would mix in Lance with specific runs, outside zone reads, RPOs, things of that nature to keep the defense on their feet. So maybe this is a good chance for him to be able to get back to that as both quarterbacks should be back uh, at least the week after the bye or the week after. Or the week, yeah, week seven coming after the bye or maybe week eight. We will see what Kyle Shanahan has in store for us. But let's talk week five in the NFL. I remember, you know, it's the the winter of, of Seattle, the fall, whatever you want to call it. What that means is most of the day it's cloudy, cold, and gray. It's not necessarily raining, but it's gray in the sky. It looks like it's going to rain. Sometimes the sun comes through, sometimes it doesn't. But for a weekend, it was a good weekend to be in sports. And what a weekend, man. I don't know if I have had such a weekend where I was glued to the TV with the events that were happening. And it goes a lot further outside of um, the NFL games. We'll talk about college football afterwards. But it started Saturday morning with the Red River going into the Wilder um, Fury Trilogy into Sunday. And then even into the Monday game with the Ravens and Colts. Everything was fantastic. And it was a perfect time for sports fans this past weekend. Well, we we got started off with the Seahawks versus the Rams on Thursday night. Um, obviously, I had picked the Rams in this game. The Rams were able to take on the road victory. And the storyline here, Russell Wilson having the injury. You could see the finger instantly. Uh, like this middle section was sticking out. You knew it was more than a dislocated finger, which at the time I was like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Until you realize it's on his throwing hand, right? He threw it, hit the helmet, ruptured tendon, fractured it, did all kinds of things. And, you know, for me, I predicted the Seahawks not to win the division or make the playoffs. So this helps my cause there. But I knew that the Seahawks were thin on line or on depth. And that's a big reason I had them out of the playoffs. But a bummer for the Seahawks, a bummer for fantasy guys that have DK Metcalf, that have Tyler Lockett and that amazing connection that him and Russell have but Gino looked decent so before Russ had left he was 11 to 16 152 yards a touchdown and a pick Gino Smith come in 10 for 17 131 a touchdown and a pick pretty similar lines but you know a guy that's been there before has had opportunities we'll see how he could take the offense but I would not expect the offense to be able to not miss a beat with Gino Smith in and for all of you football fans that aren't Seahawks or Steelers fans, Sunday night, we got, you know, old man, Big Ben and Geno Smith hosting the Sunday night game. But um, on the ground, the Seahawks have struggled. Chris Carson didn't play. They gave Alex Collins 15 carries against the amazing defensive front seven of the Rams. And he only got 47 yards, which is a pretty pedestrian 3.1 per average. Uh, but a guy that was out of football for some time coming back in, they do have some names. They gave DJ Dallas four carries as well. Uh, but outside of not having Russell Wilson, their running game doesn't look very promising as well. The receiving core was led by DK, who had five catches for 98 yards. He did have two touchdowns. You know, the him and Ramsey uh, debate have been going on since DK has been in the league. DK wasn't necessarily shadowed by Jalen the whole game, but he did have his moments. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next time around. But other than that, not a lot to say on the Seattle front. You know, the game was somewhat close. It was 26 to 17. Jordan Brooks on Seattle did have 11 tackles. 
But on the Rams side, Matthew Stafford, 25-37, 365 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. The run game was led by Darrell Henderson, who's back in action. 17 carries, 82 yards, and a touchdown. That's a nice 4.8 per average. And then Sonny Michelle still getting carries. He has 11 carries for 37 yards and a touchdown. Everyone was wondering, well, the Cooper Cup connection with Stafford has been great, but where the hell is Robert Woods? Well, Robert Woods is back. You know, they said there was no issues. He, he was doing his job. He comes into work ready and prepared. Well, obviously, there was a, either a mismatch in the defense or the idea that we need to get him the ball more. He gets 12 catches, 150 yards on 14 targets. Cooper Cup still pitching in, seven catches, 92 yards. And then Deshaun Jackson gets hit on a deep ball. He only has one catch, but for 68 yards. The old man could keep on playing. I mean, how old is Deshaun? He's 34 years old, and he still has speed that kills. It's impressive to watch, and you know Matt Stafford's just got an ear-to-ear grin with this team and all the weapons that he has uh, compared to his life in Detroit. So then moving into Sunday morning, the Steelers defeat the Broncos 27-19. to As a Steeler fan, this is, you know, if you, you lose this, I'm not saying the season's completely over, but most likely your season's over. Uh, so this was a big win. Denver always plays the Steelers tough. They're like the Raiders and the Jaguars. It doesn't matter how bad those teams are. They're usually going to put up a close game, if not win. Uh, thankful that the Steelers were able to win in front of the home crowd at Heinz. Uh, after the loss to the Bengals, I was talking to some friends that are Steelers fans. I couldn't imagine being in Pittsburgh. They lose to the Bengals. I would have been pissed, probably left the game. Uh, but the offense actually moves, and the run game moves. The run game moves. The Steelers move. The Steelers win. Surprise, surprise. Well, Big Ben goes 15-25, 253 yards and two touchdowns for 120.9 rating. And they actually had more carries on the ground than they did passing attempts, which is amazing against a pretty solid defensive front seven of the, of the Denver Broncos. But their line is starting to get chemistry and figure things out. Plus the potential return um, of Zach Banner onto the front, uh, front offensive line potentially is very intriguing for, for the Steelers. But how about Najee, man? 23 carries, 122 yards, and a touchdown, 5.3 per average. And that's exactly what they drafted, the guy that has talent. But outside of that, he also had two catches for 20 yards. So he was all over, but it was nice to see that there wasn't 14 checkdowns from Big Ben. That's not going to be a game script that wins for you. Um, on the receiving core, Chase Claypool leading the team, five catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Deontay Johnson with only two but had 72 yards and a touchdown at the start of the game. First drive, nice deep ball right over the corner for uh, Denver. Landed right in the breadbasket for Deontay for the walk-in touchdown. On the um, Denver front, Teddy Bridgewater did play. He was in concussion protocol. Obviously, the offense is the same with Drew Locke uh, behind center. So Teddy goes 24-38, uh, 288 yards, two touchdowns and a pick for a 92.9 rating. And then Javante Williams with eight carries for 61 yards. While uh, that was split with Melvin Gordon, who had nine for 34. Javante averaged 7.6 with a long run of 49 yards, while Melvin only got 3.8 per average. And then Cortland Sutton was the show. You know, no Jerry Judy. They had no offense blocking uh, from the edge rush of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh most of the day. You know, Teddy just coming off concussion protocol. You got to give that extra protection. So no offense was more of a blocker than receiver. Uh, plus some of the other names that they're missing in the receiving core. Cortland Sutton's able to play. Seven catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. 
And then Tim Patrick having seven for 89 as well. Um, Mika Fitzpatrick did have 10 tackles for the Steelers, which is impressive. Uh, Devin Bush with the big time sack. And then Malik Reed had a, a sack force fumble that Ben had had. Other than that, statistically, the Steelers go 7-12 on third. Well, the Broncos have a bad 2-for-12. Uh, total yards for Pittsburgh, 391 to Denver's 374. And both teams had a turnover, but the Steelers led time of possession by seven minutes. The Pittsburgh Steelers back in the win column. Not saying their season's revived, but it's alive. So then we have the London game, Jets versus Falcons. It's actually a close game, 27 to 20. Not as close as the score was closer than the game actually was, in my opinion, even though I didn't wake up at 6 or whatever, 630 uh, to watch the start of this game. But poor London always getting losing teams um, for their for their games. But Matt Ryan, Matty Ice, the veteran performing 33 of 45, 342 yards and two touchdowns for 109.7 rating. And outside of him, you know, no Calvin Ridley, obviously no Julio Jones. Well, Corderell Patterson, what in the hell don't they have him doing? He did attempt to pass, even though it wasn't complete. He ran the ball 14 times for 54 yards, which is right under a four average. And then he also had seven catches for 60 yards. This guy is the Atlanta Hawks, uh, Atlanta Falcons offense. And a guy that's been on multiple teams that has been tried to use as a Swiss army knife, insert the Falcons head coach from Tennessee. He finds a way to make it happen. He did lead the team with rushing. Although Mike Davis did have 13 carries for 53 yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, he hasn't had a very good per average or a very good burst onto the scene, so to speak. Leading receiver for the Falcons, the rookie Kyle Pitt, Pitts finally has his coming out party. Nine catches, 119 yards, and a touchdown on 10 targets. And on the Jets offensive side, what a rough outing here. Zach Wilson, um, you know, welcome to the league. Welcome to London. He goes 19 to 32, 192 yards and a pick for a 63 rating. The rushing game is really non-existent. Michael Carter leads with 10 carries for 38 yards and a touchdown. And Corey Davis, the leading receiver with only 45 yards. So tough day at the office for the Jets offense. Statistically, the Falcons go 9 of 14 on third. The Jets 5 of 10. The Falcons out yarded them by 220 yards. Uh, they had two more, uh, two turnovers to the Jets, one, but out-possessed the Jets by 11 minutes. The Falcons go two and three. The Jets stay at one and four. A fun um, early Sunday game between the Packers and the Bengals. As the Bengals showing that they're scrappy, they're, they're capable of winning against solid teams. Well, at home, it took overtime and a bunch of missed kicks in this game, but the, the Packers win 25-22 in overtime. Aaron Rodgers, 27 to 39, 344, and two touchdowns and a pick. Aaron Jones on the ground with 14 carries for 103 yards, which is a nice 7.4 average. A.J. Dillon got eight carries as well. And then the leading receiver, you already know, a guy that could do anything he wants with Aaron Rodgers. Both guys' potential going to new teams next year would be fun if they matched up, especially if they ended up in Pittsburgh. Wink, wink. Uh, but Devontae Adams, 11 receptions, 206 yards and a touchdown on 16 targets for Cincy. Joe Burrow, 26 of 38, 281 yards, two touchdowns, also had two picks. And then the leading back 
no Joe Mixon, but Samaje Ryan, the ex-Sooner, 11 carries, 59 yards for a 5.4 average, and Joe Mixon with 10 carries, 33 yards, and a touchdown. Now, Joe Burrow has a very familiar face in the offense, and he has definitely been clicking. Uh, the two LSU teammates really pop off. Jamar Chase, six catches, 159 yards, and a touchdown. After all those offseason headlines about drops, if you're a fantasy guy that drafted Jamar Chase, you must be happy. Um, I'm sure the ADP to what he's performed has been a very nice ratio. On the defensive side of the ball, Trey Hendrickson, the free agent sack leader from New Orleans last year with two sacks for Cincinnati, a guy that you still don't hear a lot about that keeps performing, keeps balling out, and shows it wasn't a one-hit wonder. And... um, uh, Chidobia Awuzi from the Cowboys gets a pick in this game. Devondre Campbell and Adrian Ramos with a uh, interception for Green Bay. Statistically, the Bengals 5 of 14 on third down. The Packers 4 of 11 on third down. And the Packers out yard the Bengals by 100. And the time of possession is pretty even. The Bengals win by a minute. But the Bengals 3 and 2, a little surprise early season. We'll see if they could keep it up. I'm not betting on them being a top team in the NFC North. So then we have Lions-Vikings. The Vikings damn near lose this game, but escape with a 19-17 win. A loss here would have been very detrimental, especially at home with a divisional foe, and a winless foe at that. Well, Kirk Cousins, 25-34, 275, a touchdown and a pick. No Dalvin Cook, but they have many Dalvin Cook lookalike. Alexander Madison with 25 carries for 113 yards. That's a 4.5 average. He also had seven catches for 40 yards and a touchdown, but the leading receiver that Sunday was Justin Jefferson, seven catches, 124 yards. On the Detroit side of ball, Jared Goff, another pretty rough outing, 21 of 35, 203 yards and a pick. Um, The running game, they did get 24 carries, but only 108 yards, which is a 4.5 average, and DeAndre Swift stealing the touchdown, him and uh, Jamal splitting carries. And the leading receiver here, was uh, Amran St. Brown, seven catches, 65 yards. We talked about Cephas being out. Um, so maybe St. Brown takes over as TJ Hawkinson continually deals with double teams. On the defensive side of the ball for the Vikings, Everson Griffin with two sacks, uh, Danielle Hunter with a sack uh, himself as well. And then statistically, the Vikings, five of 13 on third down, the Lions, three of 11, pretty yucky game offensively. The Vikings did outyard them by 100. They both had two turnovers, but the Vikings had a five-minute time of possession advantage. So then as we move on to other Sunday morning games, the Buccaneers blow out the Dolphins. I don't think there's a ton of surprise there. Jacoby Brissett still starting for the Dolphins. It was 45-17, to and Tom Brady breaking his own records because what record does the GOAT not have at this point? He goes 30 of 41, 411 yards, and five touchdowns. They blew him out so bad that Blaine Gabbert had a couple uh, shots on the field. He was three for three, 41 yards. Uh, Leonard Fournette leading the backfield seems to be the lead back. 12 carries for 67 yards and a touchdown. That's a 5.6 per average. And then A.B. Antonio Brown continuing to gain chemistry in this offense with all the offensive weapons in the receiving core. He has seven catches, 124 yards, and two touchdowns. And Mike Evans wasn't far behind. Six catches, 113 yards, and two touchdowns. On the Miami side of the ball, Jacoby Brissett trying as hard as he can 
27 to 39, 275 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Miles Gaskin, you know, the lead guy in Miami, only with five carries for 25 yards. But he leads the team in receiving as well. 10 catches, 74 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, defensively, Sha uh, Shaq Barrett with a sack and a half. Levante da uh, David adding a sack as well. Uh, Jamil Dean getting an interception for Tampa Bay. And then statistically, the Bucks an impressive 8 for 11 on third. Miami, not so much. 2 for 7 on third. The Buccaneers out yard the Dolphins by 250 yards. Uh, they win the turnover battle 2-0 to zero and outpossess the Dolphins by 15 minutes. That's how you get such a lopsided score. 45-17 Buccaneers uh, go to 4-1, and one, Miami 1-4. One Two is supposedly going to play this week. Um, a, a game that I did get wrong, I picked Vikings, I picked Packers, I picked Falcons, Steelers, and Rams, so I was going good until the Saints beat the Washington football team for some reason. I like to believe in Heineke and the football team, uh, but I think after this outing and a loss at home, I've definitely lost you know the confidence that I've had in the team. Taylor Heineke, pretty rough day. Twenty for forty-one, two forty-eight, and two interceptions. You know the the New Orleans defense is solid, but twenty for forty-one and two picks. I mean, yeah, it's not looking good. Antonio Gibson gets a whopping twenty carries. Only manages 60 yards, which is a three per carry average. Not very good. Does get two touchdowns on the ground. Saves fantasy owners' asses. And then the leading receiver, old Adam Humphreys, with three catches for 73 yards. I mean, Adam Humphreys has been all over the place. A guy you don't hear much about uh, at this stage of his career. I mean, let's look at it. He's been Washington, Tennessee, and Tampa Bay the past few years. Um, he's only 28 years old, though, so, you know, he's, he's not over the 30 hump in the NFL. On the Saints side, Jameis Winston, not a very good completion day for him either as he goes 15 to 30, but he does have 279 yards and four tutties with a pick for 108 rating, and Kamara continually gets to get fed and is just putting the team on his back. Uh, 16 carries, 71 yards, and a touchdown for a 4.4 average. And Marquez Callaway leading the receivers, four catches, 85 yards, two touchdowns. Kamara with five catches, 51 yards, and a touchdown to have over 100 total all-purpose yards on the day. Um, defensively, Pete Warner with 13 tackles for the Saints. And Cole Holcomb with the pick for the Washington. And P.J. Williams and Paulson Adebo with picks for the Saints. The Saints go 4 of 11 on third, Washington 5 of 16, so neither impressive there. The Saints, or the Washington football team out yards the Saints by four yards. They both have two picks, and Washington outpossesses the Saints by 13 minutes. Which makes you wonder statistically, like, okay, how the hell did they win? There was no crazy touchdown special teams. But really, at the end of the day, um, they struggle on a per uh, yard average and go 5 of 16 on third down. Saints win 33-22. Moving on, we got Eagles-Panthers, another game I didn't pick right. You know, I was high on the Panthers, one of the only people I saw to pick the Panthers in, into the playoffs. It's going to be interesting to see how the season unfolds. But a tough road bump for them on Sunday. 
Sam Darnold looking like a jet stat line, 21 for 37, only 177 yards, which is a 4.8 per pass average, attack or a touchdown and three picks for a 44 and a half rating. Chuba Hubbard says CMC who he gets 24 carries for 101 yards. He also has five catches for 33 and the leading receiver DJ Moore again, but only five catches for 42 yards. For Philly, Jalen Hurts puts the team on his back, 22 of 37, 198 yards and a pick, and has nine carries for 30 yards and two touchdowns on the ground, while Miles Sanders has the most carries, 11 carries for 45 yards for a 4.1 average, decent ga- uh, day um, game on the day. You would think that he would have more rushes, more yards when they're playing on, on um, from the lead most of the game. Leading receiver, Devontae Smith, Old Alabama teammates, he goes 7 for 77. But offensively, somewhat of a yucky game. Uh, Devontae does have a fumble. Jeremy Chin recovers. Defensively, Alex Singleton, man. Talking about him every week. Double-digit tackles. He gets 14 on the day with 10 of them being solo. The uh, Eagles defensive front with all the injuries gets three sacks on the day. Dante Johnson for um, Carolina with the pick. Darius Slay, an ex-stealer. Steven Nelson with picks as Darius Slay gets two on the day. Statistically, the Panthers are 5 of 15 on um, third down. The Panthers 4 of 13. And yards are pretty much damn near even. The Eagles out yard the Panthers by six. But they win the turnover battle uh, by one as Panthers have three turnovers to Eagles two. And the Panthers do outpossess the Eagles by 11 minutes, but still take the L on the day. Tough loss for them. Tough day in the office for Sam Darnold. It'll be interesting to see how they rebound this week. The Jaguars, you know, getting close to finding wins, but not so close this Sunday as the Titans route the uh, Jaguars 37-19. Ryan Tannehill not having to do much. 14-22, 197 and a touchdown. But King Henry willing the Tennessee Titans, as he does on a week-to-week basis, 29 carries, 130 yards for a 4.5 average and three tutties on the day. Marcus Marcus Johnson, though, the leading receiver, three catches, 52 yards. A.J. Brown with only three and 38, as um, Julio Jones still has it, you know, recovering from injury. Still makes you wonder what's up with A.J. Brown in this offense. You would think they would get his number called and purposely try to get him the ball. For Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, decent day, 23 for 33, 273 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And James Robinson trying to match Derrick Henry's output gets 18 carries for 149 yards, but an amazing 8.3 per rush average and a touchdown. And Dan Arnold, the, the newly acquired tight end, leads the receiving core for Jacksonville, six catches, 64 yards. On the defensive side of the ball, David Long Jr. with 12 tackles, a tackle for a loss, and Kevin Byard with 10 tackles and two passes defended. The Jaguars get three sacks, while Harold Landry somehow managing two sacks to himself as a linebacker for the Titans. Statistically, the Jags 3 of 10 on third down, while Tennessee is 5 of 11. Jacksonville out yards Tennessee by 90 yards, but loses the turnover battle two to zero. You lose the turnover battle. It's going to be hard to win the NFL and the Titans out the Jaguars by three minutes. So moving on 
um, to the later games. The Patriots somehow almost losing to Houston and Davis Mills, but they find a way to win. You know, usually rookie quarterbacks and Bill Belichick, it's a lopsided affair. But Davis Mills almost pulls this, this bad boy off. He goes 21 to 29, 312 yards and three touchdowns for 141.7 rating. It'll be interesting to see if, you know, things have started clicking for him or what's going on. But without Laramie Tunsil and just the pieces he has to deal with, I'm going to say it's, it's he's probably in for more than he wants. Mark Ingram does get 16 carries, but only a 41 yards on him, 2.6 per carry average, and his long run is eight yards. That backfield's just a mess. Philip Lindsay had five for 19. David Johnson, two carries. But the whole team had 24 carries for 67 yards and a 2.8 average. Tough, tough day sledding. The leading receiver. Pretty awesome story for this guy. Chris Moore, five catches, 109 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, this guy has been everywhere. Um, he had it played in 2020, was playing on practice squads, got signed to Houston, and ends up snapping against um, the Patriots of all teams, who has, has a solid defense. He went to college at Cincinnati, so it's not like he was ex-teammates with Davis Mills, but it'll be interesting to see if you know he might be an unheralded gem that the Texans had found. For the Patriots, Mac Jones, 23 of 30, 231, a touchdown and a pick. He continually puts up pretty good stat lines on the season in his rookie year, the most consistent rookie for sure. And Damian Harris has 14 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown. I believe he ended up getting hurt in this game, so Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma, 11 carries, but only 23 yards for a 2.1 average. Harris, you know, questionable to play this week, but it'll be interesting to see what happens here and if Stevenson could get some momentum going because 2.1 isn't going to give you the job. And then leading receiver, Hunter Henry, six catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown. I figured their offense would roll between Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, the two tight end situation. Hunter Henry looking to be one of uh, Mac Jones' favorite targets of late. Defensively, Kyle Duggar with 10 tackles for the Patriots and Matt Judon, the big-time free agent from Baltimore with two sacks for, for New England. Uh, Lonnie Johnson for te uh, the Texans gets a pick. Statistically, both teams pretty even on third-down efficiency. The Texans 6 of 14, but 3 of 3 on fourth down. A lot of teams going for fourth down, more so, and we'll talk about the Chargers here in a minute. Um, the Patriots 6 of 11 on third down. Yardage-wise, um, the Texans out-yard the Patriots by eight, but lose the turnover battle two to one and are out-possessed by about a minute. So I did get that pick right. We have Bears upsetting the Raiders. Didn't get this one right. That defense just smothering the offense of the Vegas, and what a tough week to lose at home against the Bears, the John Gruden situation. You know, they were undefeated about a week ago, and everything was looking bright, and here we are with a, a, a dark future ahead for the Vegas Raiders. Derek Carr, 22 at 35, 206 yards and a pick for a 67 rating. Josh Jacobs does play. He's been battling injuries all year, much like his career in the NFL. 15 carries for 41, 48 yards. It's a 3.2 average with a touchdown. Um, Receiving-wise, Hunter Renfro leading the crew. Six catches, 56 yards. Waller only had 45 yards. You would think a team that only scores nine points tries to get him the ball. But the Bears' defense, duh, Bears' defense said, nah, bruh. Um, Justin Fields getting another start in his rookie season. 12 of 20, 111 yards and a touchdown. The backfield, 
with David Montgomery out for some time, split between Khalil Herbert and Damian Williams. Khalil has 18 carries to Damian 16, uh, has 75 yards to Damian 64. Herbert averages 4.2 per carry. Damian, four, but Damian did get the touchdown. And leading receiver, although not many people having a big day in the Bears receiving core, Darnell Mooney, three catches, 35 yards. And I was like, okay, you know, Damian Williams has been battling backup situations since coming out of Oklahoma. Obviously, being an Oklahoma fan, I'm always rooting for him. He had really big seasons for the Sooners. I figured he'd have the, the, the lead cow situation. But no, insert Khalil Herbert, the rookie out of Virginia Tech. I usually watch Virginia Tech here and there, and they have big, meaningful games, but I don't remember him at all. But he has himself a, a day, and it seems like it's going to be a running back by committee situation in Chicago. A guy we're always talking about defensively for the Bears, Raquan Smith with 10 tackles. They ended up getting three sacks on the day against the Raiders, and DeAndre Houston Carson with a pick um, on the Raiders defensive side of the ball. Denzel Perryman, the tackling machine. He gets 12 tackles and a QB hit. Yannick Ngakwe, the free agent from Baltimore with two sacks on the defensive line. Or was it Baltimore? Because he had one year in Baltimore from Jacksonville, right? One year in Baltimore from Jacksonville. Cool. Just had to double check. You say something in sports nowadays, you, you get a held accountable. The internet tells you if you're right or wrong, right? Uh, it's no hypotheticals like it used to be when I was a kid. Anyway, statistically, the Raiders 5 of 14 on third. Uh, the Bears 6 of 13, not a good day offensively. The Raiders actually outyard the Bears by seven yards, lose the turnover battle 1 0, and are outpossessed by five minutes. The Bears 3 and 2, sneakily right there in the NFC North. And then the game of the fucking week. What a game this was. And I was so for it because I had Mike Williams with the heyday. But the Chargers, 47, uh, defeat the, the Browns, 42. This was a game that I was back and forth on picking. Ended up taking the Chargers, even though they don't have much of a home field advantage. But they delivered. Justin Herbert, 26 of 43, 398 yards and four touchdowns. And for two teams that think pretty highly of their defense, there was absolutely no defense. This was literally a Madden game. I felt like I was watching a Madden game. And Austin Eckler continuing to run the ball pretty well. 17 carries for 66 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Herbert had 29 yards rushing himself and a touchdown on the ground. So five touchdowns for Herbert on the day and 122 quarterback rating. And then the leading receiver, my still in my fantasy draft, Mike Williams, eight catches, 165 yards of two touchdowns. He had a lone re or long reception of 72 yards. On the 49-yard touchdown, there was absolutely nobody in coverage. A guy that's killing you with 16 targets in the day. You would think that you'd play fucking defense on him or have the safety shadow his side of the ball, but it wasn't done. He eats. Uh, Austin Eckler did have a lost fumble. For the Browns, Baker battling the shoulder injury, playing pretty good ball. 23 of 32, 305 yards and two touchdowns with 122.5 rating. And Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt just eating on the ground. The dual combination from the running back stable. Nick Chubb, 21 carries, 161 yards, which on 21 carries averages 7.7 .7 per carry and a tutty uh, with a 52-yard run in the game. Kareem Chunt, <laughs> Kareem Chunt, <laughs> tongue twister, I guess. Kareem Hunt, 12 carries, 61 yards, two touchdowns. And then on the receiving side, 
David and Joku with a breakout game. We haven't heard a lot of them this far in the season. He has seven catches, 149 yards, and a touchdown. Half of those on a long, a long reception of 71 yards. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, Greedy Williams with 10 tackles. We've talked about multiple weeks. You have corners that have that many tackles. It probably means the other team's receivers are eating down the field, which was definitely the case in this game. And then Derwin James, man, we've all wanted to know what this guy can do in the NFL. To, you know, rookie season injuries, second season injuries. He's here this year, 17 tackles, a sack, a tackle for a loss, and a QB hit. This guy is going to be a game changer. Him and Bosa together is a dynamic duo, that's for sure. And then Drew Tranquil with 11 tackles himself on the day. Uh, statistically, the Chargers 6-13 on third. The Browns 4-12 of 12 on third. You'd think with such a high-scoring game, that would have been better. But the Chargers, instead of kicking and punting, Three of three on third or fourth down, which was really the difference in this game, which makes you wonder is Staley just ballsy and got lucky here, or does he have a game plan in action? Is he, you know, making really good decisions that could be up for coach of the year? Yardage wise, um, the Browns did out yard the the uh Chargers by about 40 yards. The Chargers did lose the turnover battle one to zero and were out possessed by 13 minutes. But those fourth down conversions playing dividends, they find a way to win 47 42. They moved to 4-1 and one, while the Browns are 3-2. and two. A divisional game that I thought would be much closer but was sadly a, a big gray cloud covering this game just like Seattle with all of the injuries that the Giants had to uh, deal with. But the divisional leading Cowboys trouncing the Giants 44-20 as they moved to 4-1 and one and the Giants 1-4. and four. And after all the momentum the Giants created last week, all the injuries just shuts that down. For the Cowboys, Dak Prescott, 22 of 32, 302 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. That's my quarterback. My fantasy team's name is Dak's my boy, so keep it coming. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott getting fed 21 for 110 yards, which is a 5.2 average for a tutty. Tony Pollard still staying in the mix as he gets 14 carries for 75 yards and a 5.4 average himself. The leading receiver on the day, C.D. Lamb, four catches, 84 yards and a touchdown. For the Giants, uh, Daniel Jones doesn't last very long. So Mike Glennon comes in, 16 of 25, 196 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. And then Devontae Booker, 16 carries, 42 yards, and a touchdown as Saquon Barkley leaves early with the re-injured or sprained ankle situation. But the leading receiver, the rookie that the Giants were so high on and I didn't think would develop, but you know, you take away Shepard, you take away Slayton. You take away all the offensive weapons. Someone's got to catch the ball. Well, this man straight balled out and is impressing me day by day. 10 catches, 189 yards to lead the Giants. Defensively, um, let's see. The Giants get two sacks on the day. The Cowboys with none. Definitely missing Demarcus Lawrence. But Trayvon Diggs, potential defensive player of the year with another interception. How they're throwing to this guy or in the vicinity of this guy blows my mind. Anthony Brown with the pick, and then Lorenzo Carter with the pick for the Giants. Statistically, the Cowboys 8 of 14 on third. The Giants 4 of 13. The Cowboys outyard them by about 160 yards, and they both had two turnovers on the day, but the Cowboys outpossessed them by five minutes. So moving on to another afternoon game, a big divisional game, and a close yucky game that you kind of expect in divisional matchups. 
The Cardinals escape the Niners, the beat-up Niners, 17-10. And Kyler Murray goes 22-31, 239, and a touchdown. The leading rusher, kind of odd, uh, Rondell Moore, the receiver, with three carries for 38 yards. I'm assuming those were all jet sweep-type action plays. Um, one of the rushes was 26 yards. And James Conner getting 10 carries, Chase Edmonds 6, but Edmonds only gets 15 yards on the 6 carries, and James Conner only 29 on the 10. He does get the touchdown. And the leading receiver, guess who? DeAndre Hopkins, 6 catches, 87 yards, and a tutty. For the Niners, Trey Lance, 15 of 29, 192 yards, and a pick. He did lead the rushing with 16 carries for 89 yards. Elijah Mitchell does come back, only 9 carries, but 43 yards, which is a 4.8 average. And Debo Samuel, again, with another attempt. Uh, one rush, 13 yards, and a touchdown. They like giving him an attempt or two during the game. He also leads the receiving core with three catches for 58 yards. All the offensive weapons that the Niners have, if you're a fantasy player, it must be tough managing the situation. Um, defensively, Fred Warner with nine tackles. The Niners get two sacks, and the Cardinals get two sacks as well. Buda Baker comes away with an interception. And statistically, the Cardinals 3 of 10, while the Niners 3 of 11 on third. Yardage-wise, the uh, Niners out-yard the Cardinals by 34 yards. They both have a turnover, and the Niners outpossess the Cardinals by three minutes. But they go to 2-3 and three while the Cardinals stay undefeated, the only undefeated team in the league. So that sets us up for Sunday night. The AFC uh, championship rematch. I picked the, the Chiefs. You guys know I'm a big Chiefs guy. That offense is deadly. The defense, though, is piss poor. There's people calling out the Chiefs saying it's going to be lucky even getting the playoffs. They get blown out 38-20. to 20. They go to 2-3 and three while Buffalo is 4-1. and one. I'm not ready to write them off yet, but there's definitely areas of concern. It's a long season. Health is going to have a lot to do with it. But Pat Mahomes, 33 of 54, 272 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. The turnover woes keep coming as they try to get big play games, big risky plays all the time, and the turnovers are starting to add up. He does lead the team with rushing eight carries, 61 yards. Playing behind most of the game, there wasn't a much of a script for running. Plus, Clyde's Edwards Hilaire leaving with almost looked like an, like an ACL or MCL injury. Just gets a knee sprain. Expected back in a couple weeks. Uh, but the leading receiver, McCole Hardman, nine catches, 76 yards. A lot of teams like Buffalo did this uh, on Sunday night, doing two safeties, uh, trying to escape the big plays from Kansas City and making them go down the field with short gains. It's going to be interesting to see what happens and if more teams start deploying that defense. But if you're a team that's in this situation, you have Pat Mahomes, you have the Cheetah, Tyreek Hill, you have Travis Kelce, you have um, Reed, I'm sure they'll figure out a way to win on, on the offensive side. Defense, they're going to need their big-name players to step up. Um, Frank Clark, Honey Badger, and crew. The Bills offense, Josh fucking Allen, Wyoming, represent 15 to 26, 315 yards, three touchdowns, 139.1 rating, add in 11 carries, 59 yards, and a touchdown. What in the hell can Josh Allen not do? Well, the other running back to lead the team, Zach Moss with 11 carries, Singletary with six. Moss gets 37 for a 3.4 average. Singletary gets 25 on those six carries for 4.2 average. Those guys are still around the split, but it seems like Moss is becoming the uh, popular guy. He is the guy that leads 
the running backs and receiving as well. He had three catches for 55 yards. Emmanuel Sanders, three catches, 54 yards, and two touchdowns. Definitely filling in the Cole Beasley last year role. And then Dawson Knox, the big athletic tight end leading the team on the receiving side, three three catches, 117 yards, and a touchdown. I really wish I drafted him in my fantasy. On the defensive side of the ball, um, Tredavious White with the fumble recovery. Let's see. Teron Johnson, who I believe just got a contract after this week as well, with 12 tackles. The Bills get two sacks on the day. The Chiefs with none. That defense is just not causing pressure. Micah Hyde and Gregory Rousseau with picks on the day as well. And then statistically, the Chiefs 5 of 12 on third. The Bills 5 of 11. Yardage-wise, the Bills out-yarded them by about 40 yards. And the turnover battle, 4-0, to zero, led, you know, a, a minus four differential. You're not going to find yourself winning the game. But they were still somewhat close throughout the game, uh, which just shows the potential of the offense of the Chiefs. And they do outpossess the Bills by five minutes. Which set us up for Monday night. What a game this was as the Colts look like they're about to blow the doors off the, the Ravens. The Ravens look like they might have potential issues. Well, then all the corners for the Colts get hurt, and Lamar Jackson just straight attacks through the air. He finishes with 37 for 43, 442 yards, and four tutties for 140 and a half rating, and he has a record for the best completion percentage of quarterbacks going over 400 yards. Uh, bravo, Lamar Jackson. Bravo. But he wasn't done. He also had 14 carries for 62 yards. And the leading receivers blew up, uh, blew open the doors once the injuries happened for the Colts. Mark Andrews, Boomer Sooner, the the, the Boomer crew in Baltimore. Um, Mark Andrews, 11 receptions, 147 yards, and two tutties. And Marquise Hollywood Brown for nine catches, 125 yards, and two touchdowns. I just traded uh, DeAndre Swift and someone else for Marquise Brown and another receiver, and I ain't mad about it. On the Colts offensive side, Carson Wentz, no one's really talking about him, but he's putting up a pretty good amount of, of stats and doing his fair share. Plus, the Colts will be in the midseason hard knocks, which starts about a month, and I can't wait. Well, Carson, 25 of 35, 402 yards, uh, two touchdowns for 128.5 rating himself. Jonathan Taylor, Decent day in the office on the ground. 15 carries, 53 yards, and a touchdown. That's a 3.5 average. Marlon Mack only gets five carries, but gets 47 yards, which is a 9.4 per carry on the ground. So, so good day. Looks like he might be back from his injuries, offseason Achilles injury. Uh, but Jonathan Taylor, with the checkdowns, does everything and anything with them. Only three catches, but 116 yards and a tutty. And Michael Pittman, six catches, 89 yards, and a touchdown himself. On the defensive side of the ball, um, Darius Leonard, the man, the myth, the Leonard, 13 tackles. Um, Bobby Okariki, or Okariki with nine tackles as well. The, the Colts get two sacks as a team. Baltimore gets two sacks as a team, and Brandon Stevens with 12 tackles. Statistically, the Ravens go uh, three of eight on third down. The Colts, five of ten. The Ravens out yard the Colts by 10. They both have a turnover on the day and the um, Ravens out the Colts by three minutes. But what a fucking day. I mean, 
the 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 Chargers Browns you cut it I was trying to multitask and watch the Cowboys because I had fantasy guys going I was trying to watch Justin Fields and, and the Chicago game but I couldn't get myself to leave the Browns Chargers game the Sunday night game a little bit of a snooze fest the big lightning delay which was a fucking shit show uh, plus the Chiefs losing you know I feel like that strictly affects my credibility of prediction so I need them to get their shit together but the Monday night game was great um the Packers Bengals overtime game the Thursday night game what a slate week five presented to us so what the hell do we have coming up in week six well another kind of lopsided Thursday night affair but they've been performing we got Eagles hosting the Buccaneers the two and three Eagles hosting the four and one Buccaneers and what's nice about Thursday night football if you guys aren't aware if you have a 4K quality TV, they put the broadcast in 4K UHD. You hit the info button on Comcast, and it's just this clearest picture. It's just so far above and beyond any production and pictures that's out there in sports. They're doing some of it with baseball, Fox baseball games, and some college football games on Saturday as well. But yeah, I mean, that's what I most look forward to on, on Thursday Night Football is the 4K quality potential. Um, but I'm going to go with the Buccaneers in this one. You know, Tom Brady with the thumb injury, they have a lot of guys injured in the secondary, but I just don't have faith in Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, so I'm going to take the Bucks on the road, and they're going to continue their uh, season with one loss. Moving into Sunday, we got Steelers hosting the Seahawks on Sunday night. Again, that's just kind of awkward because we have Geno Smith and Big Ben. Uh, Would have been more fun on the fan perspective with Russell Wilson, but the Steelers much needing this as they're two and three heading into bye week. Both teams two and three. Obviously, I got to pick the Steelers. I might not have picked the Steelers with Russell Wilson. Uh, they're favored by five. I'll take them covering on Sunday night as that um, offensive run game. And Najee Harris looking good. Um, we have an early morning London game. Poor London getting the Jaguars like they usually do. And the Dolphins. Uh, but two is expected to come back this week. That's going to be the storyline. How does Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer-led Jaguars look? And how does Tua look coming back into that offense? I'm going to take the Dolphins. You know, technically the Jaguars are hosting, but it's pretty neutral. I'm going to take the Dolphins in that game. Sunday morning, we got Packers-Bears. Both teams right up top, the NFC North. The Bears surprisingly 3-2, and two, the Packers 4-1. and one. I'm going to go with Rodgers, the discount double check, taking the Bears uh, the Packers are favored by four and a half. I think it's going to be closer. I want to take them to cover. We have the Lions hosting the Bengals. The winless Lions in the three and two Bengals. The Bengals favored by three and a half. I'm going to take them to cover on the road. Um, they do have their own injuries, but the Lions just look further and further from a winning team. Plus, you add some of the injuries. Ragnarow, it's going to affect the run game. And as I said, if I'm the Lions coach, I'm trying to run the ball, keep the other offense off the bill, off the field, and, and lead with the defense. But they haven't seemed to have had a script that really truly runs into that. A lot of the damage Swift is doing as, is as a receiver out of the backfield. The Colts one and four hosting the one and four Texans. Davis Mills with his best game last week. As long as the Colts get some guys back in from the injuries last week, I know there's a couple guys in concussion protocol something to keep an eyes on keep your eye on i am going to take them to win they are a nine and a half i wouldn't have them covering especially with all the injury concerns but carson wentz has to find a way to win this game i think he does at home another sunday morning game the giants hosting the rams danny dimes all the injuries they have there's no way i'm picking them the rams are favored by nine and a half 
That spread is hard to bet on, but they probably will cover. I'm taking the Rams there. Moving into Chiefs and the Washington football team. I, uh, you know, lost all the confidence in the world with Taylor Heineke and crew after last week. I got to go with my Chiefs. They're two and three. Washington's two and three. The Chiefs are favored by seven. That spread, though, potentially I wouldn't bet on them covering. Uh, the Panthers, three and two, hosting the Vikings, two and three. These are two teams I predicted for y'all into the playoffs. So it's a must win, really a must win for both teams if the playoffs really are something that they feel like they can attack. Uh, I'm going to go with the Panthers at home. I think Sam Darnold has a rebound game. Dalvin Cook, questionable. Madison already there to fill his role. You know, same with Christian McCaffrey, questionable. Uh, they have Chuba Hubbard to fill this role. But it would be a lot of fun to see Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey square off with Captain Kirk Cousins and Sam Darnold-led Panthers. I expect there to be a lot of uh, emotion. I expect the defenses to get chippy. If you saw Kirk Cousins on the sideline last week, he, he got over to his coach, said, you like that? And his coach shoved him back. I love seeing that. I love the emotion. This is a game that I'll probably have to watch Sunday morning over the rest of the games on the slate besides this one. This one's going to be fun. The Ravens 4-1 hosting the 4-1 Chargers. Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. I'm taking the Chargers on the road, mostly due to the injuries that have been amassing for the Ravens. Uh, but hey, maybe uh, the Ravens find another way to win. The crazy win on Monday, the 66-yard field goal. It seems like they have the luck on their side this season. Uh, they're favored by three, though. That'd be a good spread to pick against. In the afternoon slate, there's only three afternoon games because this is the first week of buys. The Falcons, Saints, Jets, and Niners are on the buy. Definitely the Niners need in that. The Falcons coming back and the Jets from London get the extra time off. And the Saints with the bye week this week. So the three afternoon games, we have the Browns hosting the Cardinals. No Chandler Jones, some of the injuries. I'm picking the Browns to win and give the Bengals their, or the Cardinals their first loss. Uh, the three and two Browns going to four and two and the Cardinals going to five and one. The Browns favored by three. I'd take them to cover in this game. Another divisional game, the three and two Broncos hosting the three and two Raiders. The um, Broncos are favored by three and a half. I want to pick them to cover, but I'm picking them to win in mile high. I think they lean on their run game, and I think their defense has a rebound game after getting you know, pretty worked and, and that defensive front not getting any pressure on the Pittsburgh Steelers. The last afternoon game, we have the New England Patriots, 2-3, and three, hosting the 4-1 and one Cowboys. Cowboys favored by 3.5. I'm going to take them to cover and, and uh, to uh, defeat the Patriots and cover. I think this is going to be a lopsided affair. I think Zeke has a good day, which opens the play action for Cooper, Dak, CD, and the squad. Well, Monday night, we got Bills on the road against the Titans. Derrick Henry... The, the, the running defense has been the storyline after last season for the Bills. Derrick Henry, I would imagine, has a huge day. I think the Bills do find a way to win, though. Josh Allen and the unit look like they're clicking on all cylinders. I don't see the Titans in that offense. It's very questionable. No A.J. Brown blown up. Julio's questionable. Finding a way. The Bills are favored by 5.5. I wouldn't take that cut, uh, spread to cover, but I am taking the Bills on Monday night. This season, picks-wise... I am 56 of 26, 30 more wins than losses. Won my Pick'em League one week, been pretty close a couple weeks. Looking good on the Pick'em side. Um, better than I usually do. What's nice about the podcast is usually I'm engaged, I'm watching, I'm doing things, but I have to do that little extra research that gives me that little extra advantage. And uh, yeah, my, my bank account ain't, ain't, isn't hurting for it. 
But holy shit, what a week in the NFL. We're getting down to the wire. The fact that it's already week six, the season's going to be over sooner than you know it, and I'm going to be waiting for football next year. But you got to enjoy it while it lasts, even if my Steelers are two and three. So let's talk college football. Some headlines in the college world um, really, to me, comes down to Oklahoma. We'll talk about the Red River rivalry. But the biggest headline's got to be Spencer Rattler. Comes in, Heisman favorite. I put some money on him to win the Heisman. Not a lot, but put some money on him to win the Heisman. Put some money on the Sooners to win the championship. I felt like this was the year they had the potential with the improved defense with Alex Grinch's squad to get the job done. And the defense might actually look better than the offense this far. I woke up Saturday morning. You know, is I think the they're down 14 early, the Sooners. I'm pissed off. I turn the game off. I get some coffee. I, I do some other things. The, they find a way to come back, and it's led by Superman, Caleb Williams, the true freshman himself. I mean, this kid didn't even get to play his last year of high school football because of COVID. All this time off, he comes in, and all the issues that Oklahoma's had this season that just drives you nuts as, as a Sooners fan disappear. All the O-line issues doesn't seem like it. They got a quarterback. You know, Rattler's mobile, but Williams really likes to be mobile on his feet. Where's Marvin Mims? All of a sudden, he appears. Why aren't we giving Kennedy Brooks the ball more? All of a sudden, Kennedy Brooks snaps off. He also has this poise, this charisma. The team is rallying. Everyone is rallying behind him. Somehow, they find a way to win that game. But that's got to be the storyline. Do you bench Rattler and ultimately start Williams? Was that a one-game situation? Is this because the line has been struggling? The mobile quarterback makes a difference. I'm glad that's Lincoln Riley's decision and not mine. But if there was anyone I'd want to have have that decision, it's Lincoln Riley, the quarterback whisperer. But that's the thing that is going to be the biggest headline. And I'm interested to see who, who he chooses as a starter. I'm assuming it's going to be Caleb. If I were to make the choice just based off that snap decision, my heart's going to go with Caleb because of those things. The O-line looked better. Uh, Brooks, who they need to live through, you know, was the machine. Marvin Mims suddenly appearing. We'll see what happens, though. If that's the case, I would assume Spencer Rattler transfers somewhere next year, still has a good season, tries to prove the doubters wrong, goes to the NFL. But when it comes to the rankings, the rankings obviously drastically different after this past week's games, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, but as of now, the top four teams in the rankings, this is the AP rankings, not the college football committee. I can't remember when that starts, but that'll be happening sooner than later. Um, but as we look at it, Georgia number one after the Bama loss, Iowa number two after they defeat Penn State, Cincinnati in the top four at three, and Oklahoma rounding out the top four. As I look at the rankings, a lot of the overrated teams are the same. Teams like Iowa. That offense is just not good enough for me to think they're a top four team in the nation. Do they have an impressive resume this far? Absolutely. I don't think you could credit the Penn State win as much as you want to, though, because of Sean Clifford being out. The Iowa State was the best win for them, in, in my opinion, and that team has a couple losses already. Indiana was ranked at the start of the year, but obviously Indiana isn't as good as the rankings were, and I, I called, that, called that out at the beginning of the season. I do think Cincinnati's overrated. Um, yeah, that was a good win against Notre Dame, but I don't think highly of Notre Dame either. I have them on the overrated list. Uh, Michigan overrated, number eight. They're not going to last there at number eight. I don't think they're the, th I think they're the third best team in the Big 12 or Big Ten, excuse me. BYU, they have dropped. They dropped nine spots after the loss to Boise State, uh, which really was caused by lost fumbles in that game. Uh, but they're down to 19. I still think that's overrated. 
Um, Kentucky overrated. They find a way to beat Florida. They're six and zero. They're up to eleven. I have them overrated, not because I don't think they belong in the top twenty-five, but I think eleven's a little high for for my liking. Wake Forest. I just don't know shit about this team. They're six and zero. They're up three spots. They're ranked sixteen, but we look at their resume. They've beaten Florida State and Virginia, Louisville and Syracuse in overtime, which Florida State's fallen off. Uh, Virginia and Louisville aren't the same teams as they they typically are. Another team I have on the overrated list, I have North Carolina State. They're down at 22. The ACC has a few teams in here I just don't think are credible. Uh, San Diego State, 5-0 at 24. I don't think they're going to last in the, the top 25. We look at their resume. They've beaten New Mexico State, garbage. Arizona, garbage. Utah in triple overtime. Mixed readings with Utah, but I'd say not very good. Towson and New Mexico. So they're 5-0. They're in the rankings. I get it, but just letting you know that won't last. They're overrated. When I do overrated, underrated, it's like end of season. If this is the final rankings, these teams don't belong there. I don't think they'll last, or I think teams will go up. I also think Oklahoma State is overrated. They're 5-0, ranked number 12. Could they be in the top 25 this year? Potentially. Uh, but their best wins are against Boise State, Kansas State without their starting quarterback, and Baylor, which was a pretty solid win, but I'm still unsure of how good Baylor is. The underrated teams, not as big of a list. I think uh, Ole Miss, Florida, and Texas. With what Texas showed this past week, the young freshman quarterback, Caleb Thompson, willing this team, I think they get better as the season goes by. I'm sure they'll be around 15 or so at the end of the season, depending on you know scheduling. Off. That's not me looking at the schedule at this moment. Uh, but Ole Miss and Florida. Ole Miss is 13. Florida's 20. You play in the SEC, you're going to take some losses. That drops you in the rankings. But pound for pound, they're teams that I would not want to play with, and I think they're better than those rankings that, they've give, that they have been given at this moment in time. So let's talk last week's action. Oh boy, was there some action. So in early games, um, Coastal Carolina trounces Arkansas State on Thursday. They're 15. Uh, Grayson McCall, 18-23, 365 yards and four touchdowns. They run the ball well too. Shermari Jones, 10 carries, 113 yards and a touchdown. 113 yards on 10 carries. Sheesh. Um, Isaiah Likely continuing to ball out. Eight catches, 232 yards and four touchdowns. I know we're talking Sunbelt, Arkansas State, who's one and five, but these guys are performing week in, week out. Cincinnati trounces Temple on Friday, 52 to three. Desmond Ryder, potential Heisman candidate, 22 of 30, 259 and three touchdowns. Jerome Ford on the ground, 15 carries, 149 yards and two touchdowns. And then Alec Pierce, six catches, 93 yards and a tutty. Um, to end Friday night, Arizona State beat Stanford pretty handily. I had picked Stanford in this, so I got it wrong. Uh, Tanner McKee not looking as sharp as he did the week before in the win against Oregon. He goes 27 to 45, does put up 356 yards and a touchdown, but he has three picks, which was really the big difference in the game. And Jaden Daniels, man, what a game by him. 14 to 23, 175 yards, but also has 76 yards and a touch, touchdown on the ground. So that set us up for Saturday morning, and that was where the day was owned by the Red Rival rivalry. These games the past few years have been insane. I remember my friend asking me what I thought of the matchup. I had picked Oklahoma in my parlay 
because I didn't like some of the other options, but I knew this would be a close game. It always is. And, um, I didn't think that they would be down. I didn't think it'd be 55 to 48 by any means, but it was a wild game. Rattler gets sat after he finishes the day eight for 15, 111 and a pick for an 11.4 QBR. Insert Superman, Caleb Williams, 16 of 25, 212 yards and two touchdowns for 98 rating. Casey Thompson doing well, 20 for 35, 388 and five. He got the five burger on the day, five tutties on the day. So everyone, especially early, giving props where props is due. I mean, B. John Robinson, this guy is a grown-ass man, 20 for 137 and a touchdown. This guy is not even eligible to go to the NFL anytime soon as he is a true sophomore, and he has 789 yards and eight touchdowns with 6.3 yards per carry average on the season. But he got overshadowed by a guy that I knew had the potential but was so curious where it's been all season. Yenster Caleb Williams, here he is. Kennedy Brooks, 25 for 217 and two touchdowns on an 8.7 average. He also had a 65-yard run. This is the guy that two years ago became the lead back of the backfield. He sat out last year and opted out with the COVID situation. But these are the games they need him to have if they want to find a way to stay in the top four. And Caleb Williams on the ground, only four rushes, but 88 yards and a touchdown. He did have a 66-yard run for a touchdown. The leading receiver, no surprise here, Marvin Mims, the guy that we've been looking for. Uh, five catches, 136 yards, and two touchdowns. And Xavier Worthy, the true freshman for Texas, nine catches, 261 yards, and two touchdowns with a long catch of 75. I mean, 261 and nine catches, that's John Ross rookie-type numbers. Texas, though, if Casey Thompson continue can continue to play well, the mix of him, Bajon Robinson, Xavier Worthy. Um, yeah, Texas is turning things around. Which Steve Sarkeesian led Texas. Um, I, obviously, Steve is a big offseason name. I was interested to see how they would turn out, and now there's rumors of them going to the SEC, but that's a promising young core to work with. Another upset act. Well, this is the top 25. Let's go throughout the day first. ESPN only lets me see top 25 games on the original filter. I'm a football fan, though. I want to talk about all the FBS, not just the top 25 teams. But um, the day was also um, talked about with this game. Texas A&M somehow finding a way to put up 41 points without their starting quarterback on that Bama defense. They beat the number one team, the invincible-looking Alabama um, Crimson Tide, 41-38. to And Zach Calzada with balls of steel... Uh, 21 of 31, 285 and three touchdowns and a pick. Um, out, out doing the Heisman favorite in this game. He was 28 of 48, 369, three touchdowns and a pick. Brian Robinson for Bama, 24 carries, 147 yards. Isaiah Spiller battling injuries throughout the game. 17 carries, but only 46 yards for a 2.7 average and a touchdown. Um, and then Jamison Williams leading all receivers. 10 catches, 146 yards, and two touchdowns. But the real big difference here was the, the turnover battle. Bama with two turnovers to uh, Texas A&M's one. And yeah, this was a game that I would have never predicted. I have actually had um, A&M as the overrated team in my rankings since they've lost their quarterback. But hey, you, you, you can't doubt them. Uh, the SEC, it's a tough schedule. It's the SEC for a reason. Alabama takes the L 
and football fans everywhere are celebrating, I'm sure, like I was. Uh, no upset here as Georgia rolls Auburn. I expected this. You know, I've been pro Bo Nix. I, f- I figured he'd f- get his shit figured out after all these years with Auburn. I mean, how many years has he been the starter there? Let's see. One, two, three. So three years as a starter. It seems like he's been there forever. But I, I just expected him to perform well. He was in the QB 11 class with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Uh, but he goes 21-38, 217 yards and a pick. Bigsby has nowhere to run. 10 carries, 28 yards for 2.8 average and a touchdown. Stetson Bennett at quarterback. They don't have Daniels, but they don't need him. He's 14-21, 231 and two touchdowns. They run for 201 yards on Auburn and find a way to win 34-10. to Georgia rolls. They're now the number one in the country. The huge top five battle in the Big Ten hosted in Iowa. You get to see them with the Children's Hospital waving, doing the introduction, the cool sight there. Well, they find a way to win after Sean Clifford's out. Uh, Taquan Robertson did not look good. 7 of 21 for 34 yards and two picks. And the leading rusher was Sean Clifford before he left with three carries for 36 yards and a touchdown. That offense was nowhere to be found. They did have a big lead, but once Clifford went out, Iowa found a way. Spencer Petrus, 17 of 38, or 17 of 31, 195 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Tyler Goodson with 25 carries for 88 yards, which is a meager 3.5 per carry average. And Nico Regini, four catches, 73 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Penn State did have four turnovers to Iowa's one, most of that with the backup quarterback. That was really the tell of this game, but I'm still not that impressed for Iowa, even though they are number three. Let's look at their schedule coming up. I'm intrigued. I'm sure I did this on Saturday, but I'm doing it live with you guys. Uh, They got Purdue, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, Nebraska. That is a cake schedule if I've ever seen one. I do remember looking that over. Potentially could win out for the Big Ten Championship. Um, So, yeah, they could very well be in the the top four for the rest of the season until the end. So that'll be fun to track down. Uh, Iowa State rolls against Maryland. The reason this is interesting is to see how Tua's brother does. Well, he's 28-39, 279, two touchdowns and two picks. CJ Stroud with over 400 yards and five touchdowns. Trayvon Henderson still over 100 with 102 and two touchdowns. And Chris Olave looking like an NFL product, seven catches, 120 yards and two touchdowns. I had picked BYU in this game to beat Boise State. Uh, The turnover has really lost them this game, but Boise State was able to run for 140 yards. Jaron Hill, 22 at 37, 302 yards, a touchdown and a pick. But they lost the turnover battle 4-0. You can't win when you lose 4-0 on the turnover. Minus 4 on the turnover differential. Michigan State continues to win. They roll Rutgers 31-13. Kenneth Walker III leading all runners. He had 29 carries, 233 yards, and uh, a touchdown. That's an 8 yards per rush average, which is insane. And then Jalen Naylor, can't leave him out. Five catches, 221 yards, and three touchdowns with a long reception of 65 yards. We look at Kenneth Walker. He has 913 yards and nine touchdowns with a 7.1 average on the season in the Big Ten, which is probably one of the better defensive conferences in football. Another fun game, Ole Miss escaping Arkansas. This was a back-and-forth affair. This was like the Chargers and Browns. This is the SEC. This is a defensive-led conference. Well, not in this game. 
KJ Jefferson, 25 of 35, 326 yards, three touchdowns. Raheem Sanders, 139 yards on the ground. Traylon Burke, seven catches, 136 uh, and a touchdown for the Hogs. Meanwhile, Heisman, um, one of the front runners, Matt Coral, 14 to 21, 287 yards and two touchdowns. Henry Parrish with 111 yards. Snoop Connor, 110 and three touchdowns on the ground. While Braylon Sanders had 127 yards and a touchdown. This game was close like I expected. I did not expect there to be over 600 total yards by both offenses. Arkansas out-yarded Ole Miss by 60, but they lost the turnover battle 2-0, even though they out-possessed Ole Miss 30 by 11 minutes. A lot of Ole Miss's scores were quick strikes, long plays. Ole Miss looking solid. Arkansas is still very tough. Nobody should want to play them. Another game I got wrong, I picked Virginia Tech to upset Notre Dame. It was a close game, but Notre Dame find a way to win with their two quarterbacks, you know, platoon that they've been doing. Uh, Braxton Burmeister for Virginia Tech, 15 to 30, 184 yards and a pick. The Notre Dame defense did get to him. And then Kyron Williams with 19 carries for 81 yards and a touchdown for Notre Dame. Uh, Buckner, Tyler Buckner, the QB, had two picks for Notre Dame. Jack Cohen looking a little better. We'll be interested to see if uh, Kelly keeps doing two quarterback rollouts throughout the season. Well, Kentucky looking good as they beat uh, a very lackluster LSU team, 42-21. to 21. Um, Will Levis, 14-17, 145 yards and three touchdowns through the air. But the, uh, Kentucky rolls everywhere on the ground. They have 330 total yards as a unit. Chris Rodriguez Jr. with 16 carries for 147 yards and a touchdown. And Cavoise Smoke with 12 carries for 140 yards or 104 yards, excuse me. And Kentucky stays undefeated in the SEC. Let's look and see who they got. I'm intrigued. This is an overrated team. Well, they played Georgia on October 16th, this Saturday. That's going to tell us the season. That's their last big game. They played Mississippi State, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, New Mexico State, and Louisville. So this is going to be their season. They find a way to beat Georgia. Obviously, they're legit. I'm completely wrong. Even if it's a close game, uh, that'll show a lot because Georgia seems like the real deal. That defense is no joke, especially when Kentucky leads on the run game. We'll see if they can move that Bulldog defense. Again, an overrated team I have, Wake Forest, 40, uh, beats Syracuse in overtime, 40-37. to 37. Sam Hartman, 19-32, 330, three touchdowns and a pick for, for, the, uh, for Wake Forest. And then A.T. Perry, that's interesting, A.T. Perry. It's got to be short for something, you'd think. You'll see a lot of ATs. Uh, A.T. Perry, three catches, 137 yards, and three touchdowns. And Jakari Robertson, nine catches for 134 yards. Wake Forest stays undefeated. Uh, Florida rolls Vandy, no surprise here. Emory Jones, 14-22, 273 and four touchdowns. SMU um, beats Navy. They stay undefeated in the American Conference uh, and, and stick within uh, the top 25. The guy I always keep my eye on as a Sooner fan is Taylor Mordecai. He's 30 for 40, 324, two touchdowns and an interception. Good to see he's having an opportunity at SMU. San Diego State, my overrated team, 5-0 in the Mountain West. They roll New Mexico 31-7. Um, they're running back Greg Bell with 21 carries, 111 yards, and a tutty. Tennessee smokes South Carolina in the SEC. Baylor smokes West Virginia, which is interesting. 
Um, Jerry Bohannon, 18 and 29, 336 and four touchdowns for Baylor. Tyquan Thornton with eight catches for 187 yards and two touchdowns. Let's see. Virginia sneaks by Louisville in a average ACC battle. But Brandon Armstrong with goes 60 pass attempts. He goes 40 of 60 for 487 and three touchdowns. And Rashawn Henry with nine catches for 179 yards. Liberty smokes Middle Tennessee. Why am I talking about this? Well, there's the NFL prospect here, Malik Willis. He goes 17 to 30, 222, two touchdowns and three picks. That's all I need to see uh, against a middle, middle Tennessee team. I think that hype might be a little over extraneous, but again, it seems like a lot of the athletic talent is why people are so high on him. Somehow Florida State finds a way to beat North Carolina. North Carolina for a very tough season. Um, they give up 238 yards on the ground. They must have lost the turnover battle. Yep, they lose the turnover battle by one. Uh, but Sam Howell, 17 for 32, 203 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. He also runs the ball 11 times for 108 yards. And Josh Downs has nine catches for 121 yards and a touchdown. But I doubt he's going to have an opportunity uh, to win the Heisman. Wisconsin gets back in the win column and moves 2-3, to three, beating Levy Smith's uh, Illinois team 24-0. They blank them. Let's see what else happened. Washington State beats Oregon State. Oregon State moves to 4-2 and two into the Pac-12. They look like one of the better teams, but Washington State with their 46 pass attempts. Uh, Jaden Delora, 32 of 46, 399 and three touchdowns, finds a way to win. Travell Harris, eight catches, 147 yards. Uh, B.J. Baylor stays, uh, still has another good day on the ground, 18 carries for 145 yards. TCU beats Texas Tech pretty handily, 52-31 in the Big 12. Uh, Wyoming loses its first game to Air Force, 24-14. Sean Chambers, 11-28, 143 yards and a touchdown. So, yeah, my Wyoming Cowboys not looking as good, not looking that good. I know they're undefeated, but it didn't seem like they were going to be that talented anyways. Utah finds a way to win against USC. USC's woes continues. Uh, Kedon Slovis, 33 of 53, 401 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. They're throwing the ball 53 times. That's insane. Cameron Rising looks to be the guy in, in Utah, looks to be doing well. 22 of 28, 306 yards and three touchdowns. Tavion Thomas, 16 rushes, 113 yards and a touchdown. That looks like a typical Utah line, and the Utes might be back in action. I'm interested to see how their next few games play out as they have their quarterback. Um, you know, they took losses against San Diego State and BYU earlier. Uh, they've beaten Weber State, Washington State, now USC, and they play Arizona State this weekend. Um, also, Drake London, 16 catches on t uh, oh no, 16 catches, 162 yards, and a touchdown for USC. Uh, US, UCLA rolls Arizona, the once top 25 team. And in the FCS this past week, there was a couple good games. Memory serves me correct. You know, as a Montana Grizz fan, they lose to Eastern Washington, the quarterback. Cameron Humphreys hurt. There's still no, I don't have knowledge anyways of what the hell the deal is there, uh, but has me a little concerned. Grizz start out slow, but they find a way to beat Dixie State, 31-14. to uh, The true freshman, Chris Brown, 20-30, 241 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Xavier Harris, looking pretty solid, man. Uh, 29 carries, 119 yards for a 4.1 average. 
and the Grizz find a way to get three turnovers and hold Dixie State to 261 total yards and 35 yards on the ground. That's that Grizz defense, baby. Um, other world, other games in the FCS world of note. I know there was at least one I had my eye on. Oh, yeah. Villanova beating James Madison, uh, a top-ranked team in James Madison. Villanova finding themselves up in the FCS rankings as well. Um, Cole Johnson, 24 of 40, 174 yards uh, for James Madison. Daniel Smith, 16 of 26, 158 yards and a touchdown for Villanova. Uh, Rajon Pringle, eight catches, 132 yards and a touchdown for Villanova as well. Villanova won the turnover battle by one. James Madison with nine minutes of time of possession on Nova. But Nova wins by one to upset James Madison. I think that was the only one. Nope. North Dakota State beats Northern Iowa 34-20. Fucking North Dakota State always winning. Quincy Patterson 11-21, 182 yards and two touchdowns. Also ran the ball 12 times for 60 yards and two touchdowns for four touchdowns on the day. They hold Northern Iowa quarterback Theo Day uh, 12 for 31. Pretty bad day in the completion percentage. 257 yards and a touchdown. But Isaiah Weston gets majority of those. Five catches, 181 yards and a touchdown. And Northern Iowa loses a turnover battle 2-1. to one. Eastern Washington rolls Northern Colorado. Um, the highly ranked UC Davis somehow loses to Boise State or to Idaho, Idaho State as they get their first win, 27-17. ESPN doesn't even have their box score. It's Idaho State and UC Davis. They probably give zero shits. But UC Davis was sought highly of and high in the rankings. Uh, South Dakota gives North Dakota another loss, a team that was in the top 25 of FCS. They win 20-13. to 13. Let's see here. Any big stats? Travis Thies, the running back for South Dakota, 23 carries, 138 yards, and a clean turnover game. But, yeah, low-scoring game. South Dakota wins. They stay up in the rankings. Another big FCS game. Southern Illinois, 5-1, and one, somehow finds a way to beat South Dakota State. The Jackrabbits, who are 4-1, and one, they hand them their first loss. Nick Baker, 28 of 45, 359 yards and four touchdowns. Donovan Spencer, 103 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. And Landon Lenore, 10 catches, 147 yards and two touchdowns. Jaron Rollins, four catches, 104 and a touchdown. For the Jackrabbits, Chris Oladukin. Oladukin. That's pretty cool. Uh, 23 of 31, 358 yards, a touchdown and two picks. Pierre Strong, 20 carries, 162 yards for 8.1 average and two touchdowns on the day. He had a long run of 85 yards. Tucker Kraft with 124 yards and a touchdown on 10 catches. Jadon Janke, three catches, 117 yards and a touchdown for the Jackrabbits. The Jackrabbits lose the turnover battle 3-2 and are outpossessed by a minute as Southern Illinois Salukis. The hell is a Saluki? Seemed like the real deal. Saluki, a standardized breed developed from sight hound dogs that hunt primarily by sight than scent. The Salukis, only in the FCS, ladies and gents, only in the FCS. Watch out, Southern Illinois, though. Jackson State, a top-ranked team, rolls Alabama A&M, a solid 3-2 A&M team, 61-15. Um, you know, Jackson State, obviously, 
in the headlines long a lot as Deion Sanders is part of the um, coaching staff. Let's see what the box score says. They put up 61 points. I'm sure it's a lot. 249 yards and four touchdowns by the QB. Santi Marshall, 122 yards on the ground. Must have been a lot of turnovers. Two turnovers by Alabama A&M. Which I believe is a somewhat new school. A&M school start. Nope, 1875. I was completely wrong. Completely wrong. The internet, it'll check you real quick. Uh, what else do we have? Actually, I think I was thinking of Jacksonville State as the coach. Not Jacksonville. Jackson State, see? Fucking Jacksonville State head coach. Hmm. Anyways. Uh, Montana State Bobcats, they stay uh, at, with one loss as they roll through Cal Poly 45-7. to And that's that from Week 6 in the FCS. Previewing Week 7, Weber State and Montana State. Weber State hosts Montana State. They could play spoiler in Montana State. Let's see. As Montana State is... Number nine in the rankings. Uh, Weber is still 19, even though they're two and three. Tough schedule. Montana plays Sac State. They're trying to avenge last year's game. Will be interesting to see how Chris Brown plays for them. The, the, the true freshman. What else we got? Top ranked teams here. I don't think there's as much. There's actually a lot of action last week in the FCS. Just like the FBS, there's a lot of change in the, in the top teams there. Eastern Washington, easy opponent. North Dakota State, Illinois State. That should be easy. Southern Illinois playing North Dakota. That's a potential good game. The Salukis. I like that. The Saluki. Let's see. Villanova playing 0 for 5 Albany. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot in the FCS world. Northern Iowa hosting South Dakota. That's a good game. Uh, Northern Iowa is 3-2. South Dakota is 4-2. Let's see. Northern Iowa is 16 in the rankings. South Dakota is 21. And that's that in terms of this week in the FCS. A little bit of a slower week in the FBS as well. Let's see. Week seven, or no, week eight in FBS. Um, Coastal Carolina is actually playing tonight. They're playing App State tonight. Oh, man. Um, Coastal Carolina undefeated in the rankings. App State, potential upset alert. That is tonight on ESPN2 um, in Boone, North Carolina. They got a rowdy crowd there, so that, that's that's going to be a tough game for, for Coastal Carolina, even though they play in the Sun Belt. It looks like probably one of their strongest games uh, left on the schedule. So, you know, they could win out from here, have an opportunity to play some big-time bowl games. This might be the biggest game for them the rest of the season. 
Also on FBS, we have... Yeah, not a lot of good games Thursday or Friday. Uh, Memphis and UCF, a decent game. Head into Saturday morning. Iowa State hosting Oklahoma State. They could try to get back on record, get back into the rankings, even though they're 3-2. and two. See if Brock Purdy and Priest Hall could get the, their business handled. I'm actually going to go on the limb here. I'm taking Iowa State. I'm taking the Cyclones over the 12th-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys. Washington State hosting BYU. Decent win by Washington State. See if they could play spoiler. I'm going to take BYU, though. TCU West Virginia in a, a, a mid Wait, am I on the wrong way? I jumped the gun. That's week eight. Week eight. We're in week seven. Appalachian State already got crushed by the Raging Cajuns last night, a Tuesday night game. Like, how the hell? I don't understand how that scheduling works that teams play on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Um, so preview for next week, Coastal Carolina, Appalachian State. That's going to be interesting. Maybe not so much, though, because the once-ranked Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns doing work. Let's see who did work for them. Levi Lewis, 15-25, 209, a touchdown and an interception. As a team, they ran for 246. Montrell Johnson, 14 carries, 130 yards and a touchdown. App State with four turnovers. That'll do it. Ragin' Cajuns moving on. Maybe get back in the top 25 soon. So on Saturday or Friday, we have Oregon hosting California. They should be able to roll that, but keep their eyes on with some of their injuries and losing their running back. Saturday morning, the Sooners playing TCU. That's how I knew I was a week ahead. So I said TCU, West Virginia. I was like, no, they play Oklahoma. Um, the storyline here is who the hell is going to be the starter? I hope it's Williams. Maybe I don't. I don't know. But Lincoln Riley will know. Uh, Cincinnati playing UCF. That's a potential road bump for them on Saturday morning as they try to stay in the top four or top. Yeah. Top four. And that's a lot of pressure to be had. Uh, Indiana's hosting Michigan state. People thought highly of Indiana. They thought highly of that offense. So maybe they could play a spoiler. I'm taking Michigan state. Texas is hosting Oklahoma state. That's tough back-to-back -back games for Oklahoma state. I'm picking Texas. I'm taking the freshman QB to get the job done. Arkansas hosting Auburn. Could be a decent game. I bet you the Hogs roll them after the tough loss to Ole Miss last week. LSU's hosting Florida in the rivalry game. I'm taking um, Emory Jones and the Florida-led offense, my underrated team. What else we got this weekend? Georgia hosting Kentucky. This is the big game for Kentucky, their prove-it game. I can't bet against the Bulldogs. That defense is too legit. Baylor's hosting BYU. We'll see if Baylor's decent. They could uh, continue continually add to the losing column for BYU. You know what? BYU burned me last week. I'm taking Baylor at home. North Carolina hosts Miami for two sad ACC seasons. I'm taking the Tar Heels. Sam Howell is about to light him up. Uh, Derek King supposedly having season-ending surgery. Virginia Tech hosting Pittsburgh. This will be a fun one. My hopeful future Pittsburgh Steeler, if not Rodgers, Kenny Pickett, man, you got to tune in on uh, 12.30 on Pacific on, on Saturday to watch Kenny Pickett on ESPN2. This guy's lighting it up. Wyoming playing Fresno State. That's a big game for my, for, for, for my Wyoming Cowboys, the, the Pokes, because um, they took the loss against Air Force. Fresno State's definitely a step up in competition. We'll see how they can manage that. Mississippi State hosting Alabama after the loss. I'm sorry. I'm sure... 
Uh, Saban and Cruz going to find a way to trounce that team. I'm ta- you can't bet against the, the, the Crimson Tide in that game. Tennessee hosting Old Miss. We'll see how they can manage their 4-2. Uh, Old Miss with a huge win against Arkansas. Maybe a letdown game on the road. At least worth tuning into. That's a 4.30 p.m. Pacific game on SEC Network, which I don't... Ha- Actually, I do have. I have the added sports pack for that. Uh, Kansas State hosting Iowa State. That'll be an interesting game. I will be taking Brock Purdy and Brees Hall in that game. What else we got? And Utah hosting Arizona State. Utah gaining some momentum. Arizona State back in the rankings. This will be a fun game. You know, I can't pick against Arizona State. I really do want to pick Utah. I want to believe that they have that momentum going. So a good game to keep a track and an eye on, especially if you're a Pac-12 fan. That's a 7 p.m. Pacific start on ESPN. Apologies, I got my weeks mixed up there. Just lots of action. It's fucking mid of the football season. I'm jacked. You're jacked. We're jacked together. But let's talk the fight game because I'm super stoked about that. Well, in the fight game, we have a lot of new fights booked, some dates booked. And we got to recap last weekend's fight night. There's also a fight night coming up this week. Well, the big, bad heavyweight championship, the real heavyweight championship, not the interim, is on the line as Francis Ngannou and Cyril Cyril Ghosn, who we knew would be booked against him, is booked for January 22nd. So we'll be starting off 2022 with the heavyweight banger. Um, Holly Holm out of the main event this weekend. Well, guess who fills in? Aspen Ladd who fills in to try to redeem herself after missing weight a couple weeks ago. Even though this is a weight class above, she is filling in for the main event. Uh, Talia Santos is hopping in for Alexa Grasso to fight Joanne Calderwood on that card. And some big fights that I'm excited about. This one especially. Calvin Cater back in the octagon against Giga Chikadze, who will be headlining the fight night in January. We have Ian Heinish versus Sam Alvey in a fun battle of Really a must-win fight for these guys. Uh, Tai uh, Tuavasa versus Augusto Sakai. Another heavyweight clash you'd expect to happen eventually. That banger alert's going to be going down. I almost can guarantee that one won't last uh, all three rounds. Um, Brandon Moreno versus Davidson Figueredo moved from UFC 269 as it's so freaking stacked. They moved that to UFC 270. Uh, Jeff Neal booked against Santiago Ponzanibio. That's going to be a fun clash in that weight class. Two very experienced fighters uh, trying to move themselves back up in the rankings. Luke Rockhold pulling out of his fight with Sean Strickland due to a herniated disc. His return back to the octagon will now be delayed. Uh, Makes you wonder if there will be a return back to the octagon. The UFC officially releasing Luis Pena after domestic violence. An ex-Ultimate Fighter guy, a guy I always root for. Hard to see as he is was starting to gain momentum in the octagon, not necessarily out of it, uh, but the things happening out of the octagon has just been too costly. He will no longer be a part of the UFC. Prayers up to him. Hopefully, he could get his life sorted out. Outside of the UFC, Bellator 268 this weekend, a big Bellator card, as we have Vadim Nemkov fighting Julius Anglicus, uh, Nemkov, probably one of the best fighters in all of the Bellator roster. You have two ex-UFC guys going at it with Ryan Bader and Corey Anderson. That's going to be a fun one. I have to take Vadim and Corey in those fights. And then the the true veteran Benson Henderson taking on Brent Primus. I don't want to bet against Benson. I'm taking Benson in that fight. But a great card that is this Saturday for Bellator. 
and then have to give due justice to the trilogy fight. Tyson Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder, boy, did that deliver. And it's probably going to be going down as one of the best uh, trilogies of all time. This was a fight I never knew I needed as a fight fan, as it's been pretty lopsided. I know the first fight was a draw, but outside of the knockdown, uh, Fury was all over Wilder. The last fight wasn't even much close, but this fight, Wilder showed his heart, came in with a true game plan, and gave Fury the toughest fight he's had of his career. And as a fight fan, it was so much fun. Fury got knocked down twice. Uh, Fury destroyed Wilder a couple times. One early, obviously, the, the clean shot at the end that, that had finished the fight. But as a fight fan, the back-and-forth affair... The uh, suspense kept building round after round, and I was glued to the TV. And after such a good college football day that day, that fight capped it off, and I had just realized I'd watched sports all day. But that's, you know, heavyweight boxing, that's where it's at. I thought I'd rather have Anthony Joshua. Uh, you know, obviously he lost his last fight. Looks to have a repeat clause in the contract. He gets the repeat, but or the rematch. But holy shit, was this... the 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 ceiling on the weekend evening and i i you know almost wish i could rewatch it again uh but what an awesome fight for 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 true fight fans and just boxing fans in general outside of that last weekend's fight night a fight i didn't dive into a very nice win by randy brown over jared gooden uh the phil haas fight didn't happen that i had dove into uh, one of the fighters had missed weight. There was potential James Krause fill-in. That didn't happen, so the fight just didn't happen. So the two fights that we did dive into, let's recap. This flyweight banger was a fun one as Mathus Nicolau had a unanimous decision over Tim Elliott. To me, this fight was definitely not a unanimous decision victory. I thought Elliott clearly won round one, and I didn't believe that there was a round that any fighter dominated that should be 10-8. So I don't agree with the with the decision. Um, I I was more so on the side of James Krause, who was coaching Elliot's corner. He had told Elliot he was up two rounds that, you know, he's in a good spot. He ended up stalling that whole third round. Really didn't do shit. I think that really caused maybe, you know, a, a choice in the judge's decision. Like he's not doing anything, so let's give the close fight to Nicolau, and they gave him the UD, which really doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, James Krause didn't help Tim Elliott's cause. Elliott's a madman, usually attacks with volume, and I, I think he needed to stick to that game plan. Methus himself is on a four-fight winning streak, two of those against very good competition in Elliott and Manel Cape. Um, Elliott himself looked good, but he either gassed out or a result of James Krause's corner just totally completely stalled. I'm not sure what, what the situation is. I haven't seen Elliot gas out much, so I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, definitely a bummer of a, of a result for the true vet, but he could turn around and maybe fight David uh, Dvorak or Amir Albazi, who are both ranked in the flyweight division. He drops down to number 11. Statistically in this fight, Nikolaou had 128 total strikes and 64 of those significant versus Elliot's 105 total and 70 significant, and both had a takedown as well. Now, Nikolau, who isn't even in his fighting prime yet, uh, could have his hands full with a matchup against a higher-ranked opponent. But with a bunch of these higher-ranked opponents having booked fights, he might need to chill out a little bit, improve in the gym, and let things shake out. But if he does want to turn things quickly, he could fight either of those guys I had talked about Tim fighting. Um, but he moves up to number eight in the flyweight rankings. And then the main event. My, my, 
<laughs> my bay taking the L like I had predicted. Uh, Marina Rodriguez with the unanimous decision over Mackenzie Dern. This fight went exactly how I expected. You know, Dern would have had some flurries and some submission attempts, uh, but Rodriguez was clearly going to outstrike her and outlast her in five rounds, which I think makes a big difference. And at only 28 years old, Mackenzie said exactly what should be the takeaway. This was a great learning experience and is only going to make her better, and I completely agree. On the statistics side of things, Maria, Marina landed 148 total and 144 significant strikes versus Dern's 80 total and 49 significant. The disparity was really in large, or was largely in rounds four and five as Dern tired after a couple of deep submission and on-top attempts. Uh, Dern did have a takedown as well. Marina Rodriguez, Rodriguez uh, is now on a very impressive three-fight winning streak and moves up to number four, and she could fight for the title next, or maybe they'll give her a fight against Ioana in her return since the big head injury, or maybe Carla Esparza, who you would think would be next in line, right, if they don't want to wait. Um, she also lost to Carla before, so I'm sure Carla doesn't want that to happen. But the winner from that would definitely get the title fight as long as Rose wins. If Waylay wins, I'm not too sure what they'll do, um, but those are the top dogs in the division. Now, Dern could square off against Claudia Gadella or Tisha Torres, who she hasn't fought yet, and that would definitely further her development against good striking opponents. She moves to number six in the rankings. It was a short card, not a lot of fights that I dove into. I didn't watch the whole card, um, just the, the, those main few last fights. But moving in on this weekend's fight night, it's not a 1 p.m. Pacific start. It's a 4 p.m., so it is early, but not as early. Uh, Jim Miller's fighting in this one against a fighter making his UFC debut. I'm always excited to watch Jim Miller fight. Um, I'm going to pick him in this fight. We're not going to dive into that fight because it's a brand new guy that I have no idea about. But there is a few fights that are worth noting. And the first one is Julian the Cuban Missile Crisis Marquez, the 31-year-old fighter with a 9-2 record. Versus Jordan, the Beverly Hills Ninja Wright, the 30-year-old fighter with a 12-1 record. Now, Marquez is a blue belt in BJJ. He's coming in with a two-fight win streak. He has earned his UFC contract after beating Phil Haas in the Dana White Contender Series and has also fought on the Ultimate Fighter, so he's been a little bit everywhere. Six of his nine wins are via knockout. While Wright has a massive five-inch reach advantage, he is an orthodox fighter with a brown belt in karate, and he lost the Dana White Contender Series fight, but won a couple LFA fights to get back into the UFC. He's on a one-fight winning streak of his own, and seven of his 12 wins are via knockout and five via submission, so he is pretty well-rounded. I think this is going to be a great main card fight. I think it's going to be a very close fight. Evenly matched fighters with good records, and they're both in their prime. I am going to take Marquez, as I like his resume better coming in. I think he's fought better competition, um, but it's going to be a tough one. But I have to have a parlay every Saturday. So put this in the parlay, mark it down, and let's make that bread. Um, we also have Manon the Beast Firo, the 31-year-old fighter. She's 7-1 versus Myra Shitara Silva, the 30-year-old fighter with a 7-1-1 record. Now, Manon is on a six-fight winning streak, two of those coming in the UFC. Six of her seven wins are via knockout. While Silva has earned her UFC contract with a Dana White Contender Series victory, she's coming into this fight after a draw. She is 2-1-1 one one in the UFC, 
five of our seven wins are via submission. It's that Brazilian lifestyle, right? Well, this is a battle of two different styles, which always makes things interesting. But I'm going to go with Manon as her striking is better. And I don't see how Silva is going to be able to take her down to use her strengths to her advantage. If she does, though, things will definitely get uh, become interesting. But let's put her on the parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. Then we have Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky, the 42-year-old fighter, 31-20 and 20 record, versus Carlos Boy Felipe, the 26-year-old fighter with an 11-1 record. Now, Andre has been beating guys like Carlos lately. He is the true ex-champion vet with a Sambo background. He trains out of American Top Team now, and he is on a one-fight winning streak and has won three of his last four. Even though he's 42 years old, he's looked really good and impressed me a lot. Felipe, he's an orthodox fighter uh, on a three-fight winning streak. Both fighters have real power. I don't expect this to go to a decision, but I think Orlovsky is way better rounded. He's going to use his smarts, maybe some dirty boxing, right? Get Carlos to get angry and throw some big punches and tire him out. He's just got to avoid that big shot from Carlos. So I'm taking Andre, put it in the parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. And then the main event, as Aspen Ladd fills in, the 26-year-old fighter with a 9-1 record and the number three next to her name, versus Norma, the immortal Dumont, 31-year-old fighter with a 6-1 record. Now, Ladd, we just broke her down recently, a couple weeks ago, but she has a, uh, a mixed background in boxing, kickboxing, wrestling, and BJJ, and she also has a purple belt in BJJ. Now, she's fought an Invicta before coming to the UFC and is on a one-fight winning streak since losing to the very good Jermaine Duranamy. Now, Norma is on a two-fight winning streak. She has a Sanda background. She's a black belt there and a brown belt in BJJ. Both fighters have fought in multiple weight classes. But this is Lad's shot at redemption, right? After missing weight, all the shit and criticism she's had, she's just got to let it, her fight game handle the business. I think... You know, Ladd hasn't fought since 2019. She looked amazing in that fight against Yana, but I think she's got so much preparation and detail prepared that it doesn't matter if she's taking this on somewhat short notice against a different uh, fighter. I like her upside. I'm rolling with her to get the victory. I'm putting in that parlay, marking it down, and let's get that bread. Other words, next week we have another UFC Apex fight night. It's a 1 p.m. card, Pacific, so an early, early card. But the headliner here is a big banger alert for sure. We got Paula Costa back in the octagon taking on Marvin Vittori. And I can't wait. That'll be a fun one to dive into. But wrapping up the show, we got baseball. And we got ba baseball playoff action coming at you. So since our last show, the Dodgers won the one-game wild card against the, the, the Red Hot Cardinals, which I had predicted. And really the story here was Justin Turner's home run and Chris Taylor going yard in the ninth, right? Chris Taylor, these veteran like utility guys that they have that haven't had consistent time. It's great to see him getting consistent time since Kiki's left, Jock Peterson's left, who are doing big things in the playoffs as well, but he gets his opportunity to shine. They win the one game wild card three to one and end the Cardinal series, which sets them up for a a divisional series against their divisional foe, the Giants. But uh, going off last Thursday, game ones, the Astros beat the White Sox 6-1. to one. I had picked the Astros to win this series, but I figured the, the 
the White Sox would put up more um, offensive runs. You know, Lance McCuller is getting the game one start. He goes six and a, uh, two-thirds, four hits, no earned, four Ks, and 104 pitches. Presley saves the day. And Lance Lynn gets roughed up. Three and two-thirds, five inning, five earned, six hits, only four Ks, and two walks. Um, Jose or um, Jordan Alvarez with the home run for the Red or for the Astros, and that was really just a, a blowout in Game One. So in the other AL divisional series, the Rays shut out the Red Sox five to zero. Some people have the Rays as the champion as they have that great mix of youth and veteran leadership. Uh, Wander Franco first playoff game two for four. Uh, Nelson Cruz, the veteran added, goes yard in, in, in Game One. And Shane McClanahan lasts five innings, gives up five hits, no earned, and three Ks. While Eduardo Rodriguez only lasts an inning and two-thirds, he gives up two earned, only gets one K. Schwarber goes two for four, ex-Cub. Bogart's two for four, and Schwarber with the stolen base, but it's not enough. Moving to Tuesday. Astros, clean clock with the White Sox, pretty good again. Nine to four. They put up more offense this game. But uh, Frankie Valdez, uh, four earned six Ks and four and a third pitched. Their bullpen comes through, doesn't give up any runs. And Lucas Giolito banged up, only lasts a fourth and a third, gives up four earned with four Ks. Uh, Kyle Tucker with the home run on the Astro or on the White Sox offense. It was mostly small ball. Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, three for uh, five. And then Jose Abreu, two for four. On the Astros side, Bregman, two for three. Tucker, two for three with that home run. Astros up 2-0. Starting in the NL Divisional Series, the, the Brewers still game one against the Braves. I had picked the Braves. I had bet my friend on the Braves because I said, yeah, the Brewers got great pitching, but it's a short series, and the, the, A's, or the, the Braves have enough pitching to get the job done. Well, game one... Uh, Burns wasn't going to let that happen. Corbin Burns goes six innings, no earned with six Ks on 91 pitches. And Charlie Morton goes six as well with two earned, but has nine Ks. And the big difference here was a Rowdy Tejas homer. That big son of a gun goes yard as the Brewers offense doesn't do much outside of that. And for the Braves, Jock Peterson with a home run to put him on the board, but not enough. Brewers up 1-0. So game two for the um, AL series, the Red Sox destroy the Rays out of nowhere. They put up 14 runs as the young Shane uh, Baz starts, only lasts two and a third, gives up three earned. And Chris Sell only lasts an inning himself, gives up five runs, only two Ks. Uh, But the bullpen comes in and does justice for the Rays. Wander Franco, two for five. Um, G-Man Choi, two for three. And for the Astros, who didn't have offense? Um, Kiki Hernandez, five of five for six. Bogarts and Verdugo, three for five. J.D. Martinez back in action, four for five. And Christian Vasquez, three for five. Martinez goes yards. Hernandez goes yards. Bogarts goes yard. Verdugo goes yards. And so does the young stud, Rafael Devers, 14 to six. Um, Red Sox tied up. In game one of this fun series, the Giants blank the uh, Dodgers 4-0. to The Dodgers turn around with Walker Bueller. He gives up three earned, has five Ks. Logan Webb just really gaining momentum at the end of the, the season. 
This guy just shows up out of nowhere. I mean, the pitching for the Giants has surprised most people, but this guy's been all over, right, um, in, in his career. Last year, he had a 5.47 ERA, and the year before, 5.22. This year, he somehow managed a 3.03. You know, he is only 24 years old, but in the biggest game of his life, goes seven and two-thirds, five hits, no earned, and 10 Ks. 92 pitches, Logan Webb. Bravo, I'll be scouting you for fantasy next year. The Giants offense, Tommy LaStella, the veteran, uh, two for two. Chris Bryant, ex-Cub, stepping up, three for three. Buster uh, Posey and Brandon Crawford go yard for the Giants. For the Dodgers, Mookie Betts, two for four. Will Smith, two for four. Um, and the Giants found them to find themselves down on Friday. So heading into the weekend, uh, the Braves tie it up 3-0. They blink the Brewers. The Brewers offense stays cold, but you have to give credit uh, to Max Fried. He comes in six uh, innings, nine Ks, only three hits. Austin Riley goes yard and goes two for four. Meanwhile, the only person with multi-hits for the Brewers is Luis, is, um, uh, Luis Urias, who goes two for four. And Woodruff lasts six innings, but gives up three earned with seven Ks. In game two of Dodgers-Giants, the Dodgers win pretty handily, 9-2. to two. Um, Chris Taylor goes two for four. A.J. Pollock, two for four. Uh, Will Smith with the home run is first of the playoffs. And Urias lasts five innings, one earned, five Ks. Meanwhile, for the Giants, not a lot of offense, but Buster, three for four. Brandon Crawford, two for four. The Vets keep delivering. And their new ace, Kevin Gossman, lasts five and a third, gives up four earned and seven Ks. Moving into Sunday, this was a crazy game as the Red Sox win in 13 innings uh, to go two to one in the series. They win six to four. Ex-Cubs doing more damage, ex-Dodgers. Uh, Schwarber, three of five. Kiki, three of six. Hunter Renfro, two of four. Hernandez with the second playoff home run. Vasquez with his first. Schwarber with his first. Avaldi uh, goes five innings, two earned with eight Ks. And for the Rays, Franco, two for four. Meadows, two for four. Kiermaier, oh no, Austin Meadows with the home run and Franco with his first playoff home run. But the, it wasn't enough as this game goes long. Drew Rasmussen, is it Drew? Got to confirm, yep. Drew Rasmussen, the young stud, only lasts two innings, gives up three earned, and Patino gets lit up at, um, in the 13th inning. On the AL side of things, the Astros uh, get beat this time, and the White Sox offense finally snaps. They win 12-6. to They rough up Garcia, who only lasts two innings and two-thirds. He gives up five earned. Insert Garcia. What's his first name? Uh, Yimi Garcia. He only lasts an, uh, a third of an inning and gives up four runs. The White Sox snap, led behind Tim Anderson, three for six. Eloy Jimenez, two of five. Mancada and Sheets, two, two hits on the day. Luis Garcia, two hits with his first home run. Grandal with his first playoff home run. Cease only lasts an inning and two-thirds himself with three earned. Kopech came in and gave up three earned, uh, but the rest of the bullpen for the White Sox lock it down. Bregman went two for four. Kyle Tucker, two for four. Kyle Tucker with another home run for a second in the playoffs, which sets up an interesting Monday as Atlanta's up... Uh, 2-1, they win 3-0 against the Brewers um, after losing game one. 
Freddie Peralta, four innings, zero earned, five Ks. Uh, William Adam, his last name is hard to say. Adames, two of four. Um, For the Braves, Adam Duvall, another late season acquisition, two of four. Um, Jock Peterson, though, saves the day with a clutch home run um, in the fifth inning off A.J. Hauser. And Ian Anderson coming through five innings, three hits, no earned with six Ks for the Braves victory. Um, Red Sox close out the Rays in a very close battle. Did not see that coming. They went six to five. Uh, their offense pulled through as Devers went three for four. JD two for four. Vasquez two for four. When a catcher's hitting that well in the playoffs, you can't complain if you're the, the Red Sox. Uh, Devers hit his second playoff home run. Eduardo a little better this time. Five innings, two earned, six Ks. McHugh only lasts two innings for the Rays. And McClanahan comes in and gives up five more. Very rough first postseason. But the Rays are going to be a force the next couple of years and these young pitchers getting meaningful innings. Uh, Rosarena, two for four in this game. And Franco had another home run for his second. Franco looks like a certified killer. Watch out for him in the future. The Dodgers or the Astros White Sox game got postponed. Um, the White Sox had accused the Astros of sign stealing at home. That builds up the animosity for the for the last game on Tuesday. But Monday evening, the Giants blanked the Dodgers one to zero. Not a lot of offense to be had here. Pujols does come in, goes two for two. I knew that he would have big playoff moments. And Longoria goes home run to, to steal the game. But Alex Wood goes four and two-thirds, zero earned, four Ks. Scherzer, seven innings, three hits, one earned. Only one, but one is enough with 10 Ks. Um, and the series is tied to two. So the reason I didn't record my podcast yesterday, today it's Wednesday, is because of those games. I was locked and loaded, especially with the bet on the Braves game. So it set us up for the Astros postponed game. Hey, the day did them well. They destroy the White Sox 10-1 to to move into the ALCS. Mattress Mac with his millions of dollars bets has, has got to be happy. Altuve and Brantley go three for. Uh, Correa and Uriel have two hits themselves. Altuve with his first home run of the playoffs. And McCullers last four innings with one earned and five Ks. On the White Sox side, Gary Sheets two for four. He goes yard. Uh, the young DH with his first playoff home run. Uh, Carlos Rondon only lasts two and two thirds, gave up two earned and three Ks. Kopech comes up and gives three earned and Liam Hendricks with three earned at the end of the game. Their season's over on to next year. Uh, the Braves finished the Brewers five to four. What a game this was. Um, I was going to record my pod and I couldn't cause the game was too good. And then it was too late after watching a few innings of the Dodgers game. I moved to today, but, uh, Lorenzo or, yeah, Lorenzo Cain, two for four, the old vet. Tellez, another dinger for the Brewers. This guy hits dingers. Uh, Eric Lauer, three and two-thirds, two earned, two Ks. And for the Braves, Freddie fucking Freeman, three for five, with the clutch home run in the eighth inning to win the game. Uh, Ozzie Albies and Duvall with two hits themselves. And Morton only pitched three and a third with two earned and five Ks, but the bullpen uh, did justice. And how about this guy, Tyler Mazdek? who has been in very clutch moments this whole series at 30 years old, a guy that's been all over the league, uh, came from Colorado, went to Atlanta, had years out of the league, went to AAA, was in AA, came back and pitching nails in the biggest moments of his career. And then lastly, 
The Dodgers tie up the series 2-2 two to two as they handily beat the Giants 7-2. to two. Uh, The top of their lineup goes nuts. Mookie, uh, Corey Seager, uh, Trey Turner, Will Smith, and Gavin Lux all get two hits. So does Cody Bellinger. Big moments for him. Um, Mookie Betts gets his first playoff home run. Will Smith with the second. Bueller pitches four and a third with an earned and four Ks. Uh, Desclafani only lasts an inning and two thirds. He gives up two earned and two Ks. The bullpen couldn't make up for it. And Chris Bryant goes two, uh, gets two hits on the day, which sets us up for uh, the, the big, big NLDS Game 5 Battle of Cali. The Giants, the 107-win Giants versus the 106-win Dodgers in the freaking NLDS to move into the NLCS and face um, the, the surprising Braves. So we have that game Thursday on TBS, 6.07 p.m. Thursday night football, playoff baseball. You got to love it. You got to love it. Um, obviously, I did my playoff predictions. I have uh, um, Dodgers winning it all. I have the Astros in the ALCS, but I had them against the Rays. And I had the Rays winning going to the World Series. And then I had the Do- uh, Braves versus the Dodgers. So game five is going to be fun. Um, some headlines around the league. The Padres obviously fired Jace Tingler. Um, again, shout out to Chris Taylor having the walk-off uh, home run in the one-game wild card with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Justin Turner keeping the minute, always hitting playoff home runs. Randy Rosarina, what a game this was. First player in MLB history to hit a home run and still home in the same game. Uh, that was insane. I missed the home run stolen live, but saw the the video and that was that was nuts and um the throw kevin kiermeyer had in game four of the the Rays red Sox to to get him to uh to throw him out at home was freaking insane and then kiki hernandez walking it off all those ex-utility guys for the dodgers coming through with their teams um you know the white Sox accusing the astros i'm sure that put some venom in them as they finished them uh, on that last game uh, a couple days ago other than that, closing out the show, some other sports headlines. Uh, ben Simmons is back at Philly. Yeah, I, I didn't see a lot of teams wanting him. Him and the Kyrie Irving situations are very interesting, to say the least. Uh, the USA Soccer had another round of games for the uh, CONCACAF. They had uh, beat Jamaica 2-0. to Pepe with his first start scores both goals, the young stud. They turn around and lose to Panama with not as many stars in the lineup. They play Costa Rica today. Uh, J.R. Smith making his debut as a collegiate golfer, looking good. Stepped on a beehive and had some bee issues, but uh, crazy to see him playing collegiate golf. Um, the Nets deciding to sit Kyrie Irving until he's vaccinated, so he won't be involved with the team. will be interesting to see how this shakes out. There's lots of different thoughts and ways to analyze this on both ends of the spectrum. It's a personal choice. you know. He is seen as like a... Uh, definitely a deep thinker. He was on like the flat earther for a while. He has a lot of crazy thoughts. It's his choice. He plays for a team that affects the team. Um, yeah, I don't know how to feel about it. There's a lot of ways, you know, I, I don't want to make my show about this drama. Like this is the main story in ESPN for most of the day, but, uh, I would assume he, he, he gets the vaccine. You know, me personally, did I want it? No. Do I have it? Yes. Uh, it's just kind of the way it works, you know? Um, Hopefully he gets it for the, for the sake of the Nets. 
And then the NHL season starting this week. Last night, the Seattle Kraken in their first inaugural game. Um, looking pretty bad early. I think it was 3-0. to zero. You know, release the Kraken, the, the most common phrase in sports here lately. Um, they come back 3-2, to two, ended up losing. Uh, but ESPN having the Avs ranked number one in their preseason power rankings for potential to win the, the uh, Stanley Cup. So let's go Avs. I won't be diving into hockey on a weekly basis. Uh, you know, I do college sports, basketball, football, NFL, NBA, baseball. I just don't have enough time to consistently watch hockey to really analyze it. I look at the scores. I track my teams. I'll, I'll see what's happening with the Kraken. But we will wait till playoff times to dive in there. But shit, guys. Business in Buckets, episode 50. We out here. Uh, if you haven't, spread the word. Be a friend. Spread the word. Like, subscribe comment add what your thoughts are i would love for you guys on the youtube to tell me who you think will win the stanley cup this year and also who do you have winning the end uh the world series at this point in the playoffs and uh would love to give you guys shout outs on the show you know it's uh early in the show any things you guys want me to dive into i can but also shout out field supplements for keeping us going can't wait to go to vegas in december and get the business episodes with josh morin and his dad uh, that run Field Supplements, the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets. We'll see you guys next week.